Screen West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is episode 75 for Tuesday, July 19th, 2011. As usual, I am Paul Fox, and joining me from his secret location here in the Fragrant Harbor is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hi, Paul. Hi. How are you doing? All right. And we're very fortunate to have once again joining us this week, Mr. Ross Chen of lovehongkongfilm.com, lovehkfilm.com. How are you doing, Ross? Uh, okay. Hey, how you guys doing? All right. So this is the show where we talk about films from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. Um, so we've got three films to talk about this week. What are those films, Kevin? Uh, we'll be talking about Mysterious Island, uh, the surprise horror hit. Uh, also, Love is the Only Answer, the latest Patrick Kong film, uh, before its opening date, mind you. And also uh, the, late, the latest and the final Harry Potter film. All right. So we're going to have a pretty big show. Um, all of that and more coming up right after our news segment. All right, so we've got a couple of news stories to talk about this week. This first bit of news, uh, I have to thank uh, Tim Youngs for sending, uh, drawing my attention to this via email. Uh, this is coming from the South China Morning Post. Now, unfortunately, the South China Morning Post still has a paywall. Uh, it's kind of following that archaic model where if you don't subscribe, you can only get access to the first paragraph. Um, but this is a pretty interesting article, so I'll try my best to summarize some of the key points here. Um, but I think, have you read this article, Kevin? Yes, yes, I've read through it, and yeah, I know about these issues. And yeah, it's, it is a quite interesting article, especially for Hong Kong cinema and something more you know, specific regionally. Yeah. So if you have some points you want to throw in, or Ross, um, if you have some, some comments you'd like to throw in at some point too, um, please jump in. Uh, the title of the article is called It's a Real Frustration for Hong Kong Movie Makers. This is coming from Vivian Chow, and it was uh, published on July 17th, a couple days ago. Uh, basically, it talks about some of the problems that uh, filmmakers, local filmmakers, have been having in trying to break into... Uh, the mainland, and how the new target prize is sort of getting into Guangdong. Uh, the article goes on to write, uh, Imagine if your film can be shown in Guangdong and Hong Kong. The market will miraculously expand from 7 million to 100 million. Um, and it goes on to talk a little bit about the partnership that was set up in 2004. If you're not familiar with that, this is called the Closer Economic Partnership Arrangement. And what this basically said was that Hong Kong-made Chinese-language films um, could be imported to the mainland on a quota-free basis. But this was set up with a certain stipulation of it had to meet certain requirements in terms of uh, cast, crew, and, and production funds. So basically, up until this point, if you'd made a Hong Kong film but you wanted to show it in China, even though we've 
moved on beyond 1997. It's supposed to be, you know, the, the one country, two systems ideology. Hong Kong films have been seen as imports, as foreign films. And so they're, they've been com- competing with film slots with the likes of Hollywood films and uh, European films and other film imports. A lot of people have looked at that and said that's not really a fair relationship. I mean, a Hong Kong film that has a smaller budget is certainly not going to demand as much attention and warrant the time slots as a big Hollywood film like Spider-Man or Transformers, for example. Uh, the article goes on to talk a little bit about some of the figures with Guangdong accounting for 1.6 billion yuan uh, of last year's film revenues, uh, outgrossing Beijing, which was at 1.2, and Shanghai, which is at only at 90, uh, 975 million. So as a province, uh, what they're saying is that there are a lot of people here who like film, and they like Hong Kong film because many of them are Cantonese speakers, so they understand the dialect, and they like some of the humor and sensibilities as well. Uh, a little bit later in the article, it says, the language of Cantonese may no longer be a barrier, uh, but SARFT still may still impose censorship. And as we've talked about, it mentions that certain subjects cannot be discussed in a film, um, and you know those subjects can be things like religion, uh, superstition, extreme violence, explicit explicit sexual content. So this kind of limits what or filmmakers fun. can do, right? Or fun. Or fun, yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know, the, the old uh, uh, hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil, have no fun, right? <laughs> um, and a little bit later they talk about the, the funding of films. It begs the question, can uh, the, the Hong Kong Film Council make sure that a certain portion of film funded by the Film Development Fund uh, is shot in Hong Kong. So one of the concerns is that if you've got the Film Development Fund, which is made of basically taxpayer dollars uh, and contributions, going towards producing film, but that film is not kind of using local talent, it's not using local locations, um, but, you know, that money is going to make co-produced films... It needs to still somehow re- represent Hong Kong, um, and it find and at the end of the article it says the Guangdong release scheme does excite new filmmakers. Veteran comedian uh, Jim Chim Soiman, who made his directorial debut co-directing the comedy Microsex Office, which we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago, um, said he was planning a couple of co-productions with mainland companies, and a Hong Kong-made Cantonese comedy he hoped could be imported into Guangdong in its original form. So it's a, it gives some pretty interesting insights into some of the problems local filmmakers make and some of the changes that have occurred in recent years, but it's still there are still barriers in the way, right? So that's why we've been getting a ton of these, what some would look at as like remakes. I mean, we've seen a number of films, um, what was the, uh, the one, uh, Treasure Inn, right? Which mm-hmm. seemed like a throwback, a lot of the humor we, we, we've seen before, uh, but this is an example of one of those types of co-productions, right? Mm, well, pretty much anything that's done by Hong Kong filmmakers, and but, you know, in the mainland. I mean, even Gallons is actually a co-production. Um, same for, I mean, pretty much most Hong Kong films, uh, major Hong Kong films that got major releases are co-productions these days, including Michael, Michael Sex Office, which was also made through the Hong Kong. Actually, I'm not sure if Michael Sex Office is a co-production, but it was made of the Hong Kong Film Fund. Hmm. It's got mainland stars, though. Ah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it's got mainland stars. So I'm not sure about the the funding, or but it didn't seem like a a, a type of film that would get into the mainland, um, or that would be approved to get into the mainland anyway. But that it hasn't played there. No, I don't think it will. But Beach Spike will be playing in Hong. Uh, will be playing in the mainland. Mm. Yeah, and uh, and also uh, Wu Sha was uh, in 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 the Guangdong province. Uh, both Cantonese and Mandarin versions are available on different screens. Uh, most of the time, in the same multiplexes. So that's the thing about going to cinema movies in, uh, in in Guangdong now. You can choose if if you were watching a co production, you get to choose the version you see, which is you know a great thing for Guangdong film film goers. I think. Mm. Ross, what what are some of your thoughts on this? I mean, we've talked about before some of the problems of the industry and, and sort of the spiral um, that as you know local films get less and less funding and they get less and less they're less and less well received by the audience it impacts the quality and you know it continues to spiral down do you think that opening up and expanding to just the Guangdong province itself could be a lifesaver for Hong Kong film well that's that's the implication of the article isn't it that way uh instead of like going completely mainland and, and changing your content such that it loses any of that Hong Kong flavor, you can keep some of it for the purposes of showing it basically just in Hong Kong and Guangdong and just saying, okay, if it makes any money in the rest of China, yay. But if not, we're okay with it because we've already expanded our audience and moved it to a place where people actually still like to see movies, unlike Hong Kong, where they don't. That is, movies that aren't in 3D. Um <laughs> But the problem is that I mean, it hasn't that, really quite worked out, hasn't it? I mean, like, X didn't... I mean, look at um, Echoes of the Rainbow. It's only made 10 extra million, I think, in the mainland, if I remember correctly. Um, so you could still, you know, of course, shallow... Uh, language-wise, you're more a lot more comfortable with, you know, Cantonese dialogue and, and making Cantonese jokes. But it doesn't always translate to, you know, can't, a film hasn't really made a lot of money just based on Guangdong Guangdong uh, distribution. But, you know, Echoes of the Rainbow is a bad example anyway because there's nothing funny about that film at all. (laughs) You know? I mean, what are you making? And still, in the end, Echoes of the Rainbow is not an audience picture. It only became one in Hong Kong because it it struck a certain chord. But it really is Hong Kong. That film is Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. It's about Hong Kong. It's not about Guangdong. It's not just about silly Cantonese comedy. I think we mentioned this before. It does... It does have a little bit of reimagining that kind of, I mean, how would you say it? It, it, it kind of uh, uh, patronizes or placates to certain northern sensibilities and politics so that it might uh, be better received there, right? Because of a rainbow? Yeah. So, so basically, yeah, it can get by Sarved, but that's it. I mean... In the end, the subject matter is still not, I would call, commercial for an outside Hong Kong audience. So the fact that it even made an extra 10 mil there, I think, is great. Mm-hmm. It's basically it's icing on the cake. A better mm-hmm. example would be something like X, which is not really tied to geography or mm-hmm. to a really local sensibility, necessarily. It's really just kind of like a modern story in Cantonese with uh, uh, Cantonese-speaking actors and can hopefully speak to youth in Guangdong. I don't think like you know family's going to go watch X, but uh, Treasure Inn is probably an even better uh, example. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Treasure Inn did really well in in the Guangdong province. It did fairly well in China. I think it's it's passing the hundred million mark soon, and I wouldn't be surprised if a large large number or a large percentage of that growth comes from Guangdong province. Wait, there's like I, I see good and bad to it, to be honest. Because the good part is, yes, you can keep a certain flavor by casting Cantonese and 
and aiming for Cantonese comedy versus going for like the mainland sensibility. But the mm-hmm. problem is, who's making these films? Even if the, the guy controlling it is a Hong Kong person, like Wang Jing, mm-hmm. what do Hong Kong people like to do? Hate to typify, but they really want to cast the widest net to make the most amount of money. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, and, so and the problem, yeah. So maybe on a certain level, they're thinking, okay, it's nice to deal with things I'm comfortable with. But if in the end, if they can cast like two or three mainland people and, and try to like uh, up that box office, make it appeal beyond just Guangdong into greater China, they're going to want to do it. So I don't know how many filmmakers are going to be that like, wow, I got Guangdong too, and that's all I need. Well, uh, actually, a few years ago, when Lili Xi was still teaching at my school, he kept tell- telling us how exciting it was that, you know, you've got this big Guangdong audience, Guangdong audience. Of course, I mean, look at how Flirting Scholars 2 did. I mean, that tells you that he wasn't really right about that. And and the thing is, it, this whole language thing is just really a shallow you know, compromise. Okay, you get you get a movie in in Cantonese, but you still have to play by China rules. You still have yeah, to play by Star rules. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm not sure how how much freedom that gives Hong Kong filmmakers, except you know the fact that they can write more Cantonese dialogue. But you know, they they still can't write certain things. Well, the article has some discussion about that, right? Mm-hmm. How if the film is uh, how basically if it's a kind of China co-production. You have to follow all the rules. There can only be one ending, no alternate content mm-hmm. on both sides, Cantonese or Mandarin versions. But if you make a Hong Kong, pure Hong Kong film and then import it, you can have different endings. So you can still make that real Hong Kong movie where anything goes. And then but that's the, the, but that's the thing. Once, once, you, once you go that way, I think uh, Run Papa Run went into that situation. They try to make it a co production um, or uh, they try to go in through the SIPA. Um, uh, uh, agreement, but then the content was so risky because it dealt with triads that they essentially told Emperor that hey, you have to you have to uh, um, try and push this into China as a as a co production, and the film ended up flopping. So it yeah, even then it doesn't really. You're right, the rules are still there, the the, the bureaucracy is still there, and that you know there are still you still have to play by China rules in the yeah, end. It it would be really awesome if they could waive that portion about the alternate ending. Hmm. And make it so that, you know, I can still make my movie and I can still get it imported. I have mainland money, but I can do what I want as long as I deliver you a safe version. But it doesn't really work that way, does it? So in the end, no matter what, even if you can speak in Cantonese and even you can do certain types of comedy, it's still got to be safe. Yeah. Yeah, and, and even that, the alternate alternate ending thing doesn't work because then once people know that there's alternate endings, the same thing is a, is a lust caution situation where people... Instead, just went to Hong Kong to watch this uncut version that they know exists. So, yeah, you know, I mean, I have to admit that, like, many, many years ago when Hong Kong cinema was really dying, you know, well, yeah, like, you know, it's still dying, but it's a really slow death. But, like, eight years ago when we knew bad bad things were going on, right? Mm -hmm. It's like we we really looked at China, like, okay, China, the market's going to open. We have so much going on there. People can, this is, you know, since audiences are dying here, they can show the movies there. I don't think we ever really, really realized how bad the rules would be or how mm. difficult it would be. Mm. In the end, yeah, what makes Hong Kong movies Hong Kong movies, to some of us, I think, uh, it's really neutered by China, neutered by the, the compromises that filmmakers have to make, and not just the ones that China forces, but also the ones that filmmakers impose on themselves in trying to get their films into China. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, no one wants to like, have to go to SARF three or four times. So it's like, hey, if I'm going to get it by, I want to get it by one. So here's my safest, most sanitized and, and uh, 
you know, most sanitized, uh, cut up script possible. And what you got is like nothing interesting. You can't tell good stories. The, the sad thing is that Hong Kong filmmakers are really just sort of taking it because they have to. It's kind of accepted. They, they play this like, okay, well, we, we have to go into their markets. So we have to play by their rules because I think they're just so used to playing by certain rules or following certain markets. I mean, even, even Hong Kong back in Hong Kong, in Hong Kong cinema back in the 80s, 90s, they had to play by certain rules, whether it's for commercial reasons or for censorship, whatever, for tele, whatever. They, and they're just take, taking this line down. But the thing is, you you really could still have creativity back then, right? But even though there are yeah. certain rules that you had to play by, mm-hmm. there was really no you know the audience was big enough. And there was no rules for genres. You could still tell risky stories. The rules you're talking about are, are different from the rules that really exist now. They weren't really content based. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and we're and, here. It's like, you know. Yeah. Go ahead. No, and I think they didn't. They didn't value that. They didn't value that at all, even until until they had to play by China rules, and they realized, oh my god, wow, we turns out there are content we can't do, and then they just take it lying down, and that's the problem, I think. Well, because they don't have their mind on the story, they just have their minds on the box office. Exactly. And you know, and the result is showing here and there, but no matter what, it's like, you know, even when Hong Kong was doing really well, it wasn't just, there are certain people who really cared about the films, but more, most of it, even a lot of the films that we love were made just for money. Mm-hmm. You have to accept that. Well, it's a business. It always has and, been, uh, always will be. Right. Yeah, it always will be. Yeah. So it's really funny when, you know, you hear all these stupid pundits online, no offense, uh, who are like always like bitching and moaning about content issues. Mm-hmm. And like was saying, why can't directors, you know, make the films that, you know, matter? It's like, th- how? Right. You know, how can they make those films that you want when there's no money in it? Well, it's like we've talked about here before with regard to Wong Jing. We We love to lampoon and poke holes in the stuff that he does but from a business standpoint i think it was kevin was was saying one time that he's making stuff for the video channels more than anything else mm-hmm. you know he's 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 in a, he's in a different mindset when it comes to filmmaking now um he's he's looking to sell stuff right to uh the cable networks the broadband tv networks and uh, you know the, the 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 other aftermarket stuff. You know the hotels and and airlines and stuff like that. See, I have nothing against his model. I mean, his model is great, and it's good that he has li- has his eye on the bottom line because then at least he guarantees he can make more. Mm-hmm. The, the the bad part to it is that since the rules have changed in that regard, you can't go for the big theatrical splash and the big stars because you can't spend the money. It's like you know, look what he, he doesn't. He he compromises in other ways in budget and casting. Mm. You end up with these really shoddy productions mm. that are just ugly to look at. Mm. Um, it's like you know, it's like I always bemoan this when I when I talk about uh, like mahjong films, especially like the old mahjong films used to take place. You know, the the end mahjong battles on a big boat or a huge casino. Now it's like someone's living room, <laughs> <laughs> where, where, where the, or, or like next to a pool. Which is in someone's backyard. It's his neighbor's. Like, this is no fun. It's his neighbor's house. You know, it's like we're gonna come over and, yeah, yeah, exactly. and shoot this scene on Sunday. Do you mind? <laughs> well, but that's the thing. You know, it's because this is what they can afford, so they'll do it this way. But it doesn't make for good cinema whatsoever. Yeah. Well, no, because but at least at least Wang Jing is, has never you know pretended to do films not for money. You know, I mean, he he's always been honest about okay, I'm making this film for the audience. I'm making this film for money. I'm dumbing this well, no, down I think because the I, audience. Can didn't take he do one or two where he he claimed he was going for a a Hong Kong uh, film award director's award. Well, the, the, oh, our part wasn't really born yet. 
I probably no, this was point. this was a couple years ago. It was one of his one of his gangster ones. I can't remember which one it was, but he was he was really serious about it. And you mean Color of the Truth? That might have been it. Yeah, two thousand four or three. Yeah, that was like his reaction to Inferno Affairs. Yeah. I think it was it was around so that was, time. And don't forget Crying Heart two thousand. Did one he with, did he direct that? I thought someone else yes. directed that. It was Dini Yip and uh, Patrick yeah, and Patrick Cam. Yeah. That was his, his award-baiting movie with, you know, Dini get bald because <laughs> she was suffering from cancer yeah. with a retarded son. It's like, sorry, I mean, her mentally challenged son. I don't mean to insult anyone. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, that, that was his total award-baiting movie. Yeah, uh, but even still- then, the casting was, was, was stunt casting because they, were, they, they play mother and son in that hit ATV drama. So, right. you know, Wong Jing is always thinking about this commercial stuff and he never pretends that he's... I don't think he, re- I think he rarely pretends that he... He's pretend he he he's not doing it for money. You know, someday I think he does deserve a Hong Kong Film Award, mm-hmm. but they should just play clips from the God of Gamblers movies. And lifetime achievement, right? Yeah, just for yeah, a lifetime for, achievement. God of Gamblers movies, and that's it. And it should just be a bunch of people walking up saying, "Thank you for paying me." All right, and we, we we I think we've beat that horse, uh, you know, to death. But basically, this is gonna be a long show. You know, the, 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 <laughs> art, the article is, you know, saying uh, young filmmakers need to. Uh, look to the north, and it's not going to be an easy ride. And uh, as Mr. Egg Shen always reminds us, Goat butts against the edge, and its horns become entangled. Yeah, so there you go. <laughs> All right, uh, second news story this week, uh, talking about one of the films we're going to be talking about in our next section, that is Mysterious Island, um, doing really, really well. Uh, the film has the, uh, this article coming from uh, our favorite news site, Film Biz Asia, from Stephen Kremen. Uh, the film's doing really well, particularly against Peter Chan's Wu Sha. Um, it's rivaling, it's moving up in the rankings to second place. Uh, he writes, local horror thriller Mysterious Island has risen to second place in the box office charts, adding um, 41.3 million RMB, that's about $6.4 million U.S., in its second week in cinemas, it has so far taken uh, a total of uh, 65.6 million. That's about 10 million dollars. Highlighting the surprise success of the low-budget horror, it, it is trailing Wuxia by just 21% in box office income and 13% in admissions numbers um, during both films' second week in cinemas. How many qualifiers? Wow. <laughs> So I, I, we're going to talk about this movie in just a moment. Um, I don't want to get into much about it now, but what the heck? I yeah. mean, it's it's pretty. Oh, actually, it is pretty front loaded though. I mean, mysterious. I'm, the the first weekend gross that was uh, based on a three day gross. I think the first three days, and then of course the next couple of days, and it's sort of added up this way. But the, it's really slowing down actually because of really bad word of mouth. It's only getting a three point one on Doban, three point out of ten. On Doban, so the word of mouth is really bad. But the amazing thing is, this movie was just made for five million yuan, and now it's made sixty-five point six million. Mm. And it, I'm not sure. I think, I think, I think, I think Ross, you you said that it was because of Yang Min, Yang Min that that yeah, Mimi Yang, Mimi Yang, yeah, Mimi Yang that that drew all the audiences. I have no idea why this movie did so well. She's a popular star in 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 China. It's like her and a bunch of has-beens and never will be's. In this movie, <laughs> and, and never heard of. I mean, <laughs> yes. Well, you know, you know, but actually, it's kind of amusing for a Hong Kong movie fan because there are a lot of names in there of people who came up during the really lean years. Shine plus Jordan Chan. <laughs> yeah. 
George Chan's like the only one who ever had any real success. <laughs> and, you know, Kasara, Hiro Hayama, 3D Sex and Zen is not because of him. Um, and then there, everyone else is just like people who wanted to make it but couldn't because the market wasn't there. Um, it's just, it's just, yeah, I mean, I guess we, we, you're not supposed to talk about the film, but it, it's just, it's good counter programming. It's something for the kids at the right time. They can't watch Transformers, can they? Well, so, yeah. Not or yet. Harry Potter. What, what movie for teens is out there that really appeals to them? Not everyone wants to go see a movie starring Huangbo or, um, <laughs> or, uh, you know, especially. I would have you know, liked to have seen Huangbo in this movie. In fact, I thought I did in a couple of shots, but then no, it was a wig. <laughs> it, it, it's it's uh, it's just kind of programming. I think it just came at the right time. It, maybe Mini Yang is another reason. Um, I, you know, these these films are healthy in a way for the box office. Uh, mm -hmm. Films like this, if they can draw an audience, healthy still. for the box office, unhealthy for the audience, right? <laughs> well, uh, in a sense, but I you know I wonder if those people really walked in thinking they're going to get something more. I mean, honestly, this movie is, is unabashed about what it's doing. Um, well, I thought I was going to get more than I did. <laughs> okay, see, I did not. I was fully expecting it to be, like, uh, uh, you know, pretty terrible. And it was, but it was yeah. terrible in a way that I appreciated. All right, um, well, we'll get more but, into know, that. In, in, yeah, there's a lot okay. of limitations, and, yeah, we can talk about that later. But I really just think it's counter-programming. Lucky. Uh, they can still do this, because, you know, a lot of China horror thrillers are coming out. Mm-hmm. It's just this is the rare one I think which made a lot at once. Yeah, the other ones, right. you know, with Simon Yam and Francis Ang and Eddie Chung, you know what I'm talking about. We had a few of them the last year. Yeah, behind the courthouse, the courtroom, whatever. Uh, like Devil Inside Me, the one with Kelly Lin. Um, by, yeah. Yeah, the thing is, these these films, um, you don't have to worry about them. Make they, they're not going to make traditional blockbuster numbers. You know, what I mean, they're not going to make a uh, hundred million. But the thing is, they always make money because they cost so little. Mysterious Islands cost five million. So either way, even if made, even if made twenty million RMB, it would have it would have been profitable. Well, you know, I I haven't picked up a camera in years, but after watching this movie, I I had full confidence that I could just pick up a handy cam and get some student actors and get Marco Spomberg to come over and and you know do some of the camera work. And, <laughs> no, and I disagree. Because you know the film's lighting was actually quite accomplished. <laughs> Compared to Beach Spike, everybody. Compared to and as you've seen from Beach Spike, that is not easy all the time. <laughs> uh. Well, I want I want to throw the attention over to Wu Sha, which is um, really disappointing. And second week, it dropped by about fifty percent. And right now, and it's after fourteen days, one hundred and fifty-three million. This is the exact same pattern that the Lost Bladesman had um, just a few months ago. Um, is with Transformers coming, everything's getting shut down. So this movie actually might make less money than the Warlords, and the Warlords was four years ago. I mean, what what happened? So you want to call this the Donnie effect? Yeah, I, I think this one of those over Donnie Donnie fatigue. I think I'm going to call it. <laughs> Donnie has been really striking while the iron is hot for a long time. So it's like, man, stop striking. I'm really yeah. tired of it. Yeah, are people getting tired of Donnie? I, I can't three, believe four movies a year. Yeah, this is his third movie in the, this is at least his third movie because he had Legend of the Fist Lost Bladesman well also ends well Wuxia this is his fourth movie even a year less than a year less yeah. than a year yeah yeah so our people if you, if you pull this all the way back to Ip Man 2 it's five yeah because right now a year ago Ip Man 2 was just petering out yeah so this is the fifth the fifth Donnie movie in a year so it's is it is it the martial arts genre or is it Donnie what do you guys think that's that's petering out I mean the movie is 
the word of mouth on this is pretty divisive. Some people think it's really bad. Some people think it's really good. Um, it's not the word of mouth is not as bad as Lost Bladesman, but why is it? Why is it following the same pattern? Do you have like, an answer? Because you know I don't. I have it's no, not like, I have no it's answer. It's not like the communist parties is you know making people get out wishine. You know I don't think it's a. You know why? It's because this film is actually an eight hundred million dollar grocer, but all that money went to revival because of all that <laughs> ticket fixing. <laughs> <laughs> but you know I really don't think it's the quality of the film that's hurting. Mm. It's supposed to be better than everything he's done in the last year. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think it is. I think it is. But I, actually, some people in mainland don't think so. Um, right now, it's getting a, it's averaging a six point nine. It's a lot of people complaining about the ending, and they're comparing to yeah. It, there's actually a surprising amount of negative word of mouth about this film out there in, in the Chinese internet. Well, I don't a- want to generalize again, but you know, I think Chinese internet is just like the regular internet, where you know people something happens and people just hop on it. Right, right. You know, where the negative word of mouth is just people, like, parroting. They're well, really, yeah, they, yeah. You know, yeah. I think it kind of happens. Mm-hmm. Suddenly it's not cool to like Donnie, so you won't like him even though the movie is actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Right. right. This, this is sometimes my feeling about the way the internet works. It just seems like, especially on some place like Doban, it's like, it's like the, the goal there is to get quoted. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say the most negative thing or the most quotable thing possible. Everyone's going to quote me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know and it's like you know and, and of course it's easier to quote negatively than positively yeah. well yeah I, I think I made this point before privately is that it's just like Rotten Tomatoes where critics are fighting for the best quotes they're fighting to be the most quotable critic and to make the best quote to write the best line to write the funniest line and I think that's the same thing on the on the, on the internet uh, in China as well yeah. yeah so I mean yeah it's 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 a little weird I don't understand the vitriol that that's get, gets applied to certain films even great revival, honestly. I'm not saying it's like a, not a, a bad idea or a terrible film or whatever, but it's like, you know, just it's just like anything else. Something cool to like or dislike something. Mm-hmm. So maybe that plays towards its low Doban score. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, what do they give high Doban scores to? I, you know, China also falls into the trap of like, oh, suddenly they're going to start giving high Doban scores to uh, great Western films. Well, always thinking their own product is a, is a cut below, which sucks. But, you know, Hong Kong has done it for years. Yeah, right. The best Hong Kong film is never going to be good as Inception or, or like, Spider-Man 3, which actually isn't a very good movie at all. <laughs> well, um, speaking of Spider-Man, I think uh, that'll bring, give us a somewhat of a decent transition to our final news article this week, right? Kevin, you have some uh, trailer news to talk about. Yeah, I mean it's it's trailer week, it's trailer park. It's yeah. like well, part of trailer it is because uh, we've got Comic Con starting in a couple days, right? Um, so there's going to be a lot of spoilerage we expect to come out of out of Comic Con, but there've been a lot of sp- uh, of bootleg trailers basically popping up. Yeah, I mean just today I saw the Avengers and Spider Man, the the new reboot. Um, a couple of days ago, we saw Batman and then uh, Warner Bros. Uh, upload official version because they're attaching it to Harry Potter. On the Chinese end, we got um, the Grandmaster trailer premiering um, on the internet before, just before it's going to play before Transformers. We also got White Snake today. Uh, White Snake and was it the Sorcerer and the White Snake, the Jet Li film? And apparently um, today or to light near tonight, we also are getting the Trey Hark um, Dragon Inn film. I mean, this is a whole week of trailers. I mean, did do you guys catch them all? Paul, I think you caught all. I've uh, seen Spider-Man, Avengers, and Batman. I haven't caught up on the um, Asian cinema trailers just yet. Okay, I've seen Rob. all except for the Troy Hark one. 
Okay. Well, what what do you guys think? The good ones, the bad ones? Um. Um. Well, one person commented that Spider Man looks basically like the video game Mirror's Edge on Twitter, <laughs> and I completely agreed. Um. I'm just what I saw, and, and again, these are bootleg trailers, so there's you know they're they're not well lit. The the, the quality is not all there, but. Uh, just not really impressed with what I saw. I was kind of thinking to myself, oh, I'm kind of missing Sam Raimi. If, yeah. If this is what we're going to actually get, and this isn't just sort of like an early teaser, and the film's not actually going to look like this. Um, Avengers was kind of neat, um, kind of weird, though, because we we haven't seen Captain America yet, and um, that that character plays a pretty big part in the teaser for the Avengers. Um, Batman... I mean, I'm excited for Batman. There's there's not much else to say about it. I'm also a little bit worried, though. Um, I, I haven't seen enough of the villain, the villains yet to decide whether I'm really happy with those choices um, or not. So, Ross, what was your take on those? On those three? Yeah. Well, no. All of them. All of them, really. Oh, okay, well... Uh... Well, Spider-Man just looks like they're going for something a little more real. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing wrong with that. I think it does lack a little of that Raimi uh, sense of fun. Uh, he, he, Raimi had a, had a good sense of making it really feel like a, uh, a comic book in a way. Yeah, um, I mean, it's just a, it seemed like there's a lot of there's going to be a lot of focus on him in school, and it, it's got I don't know, it just kind of it's got like a a, a CW feel to it for me right now they, they pull they pull a story in there about his parents which is interesting um if it mirrors the comic book that's fine but you know one of the things i really never liked it when they took a comic book hero and they gave him a really good origin story then they complicate it unnecessarily yeah isn't Where that what like, happened in the third movie yes they did that now that, that was like really terrible um it was it was better the way it was and they should have left it but you know yeah that was that was a major misstep um, in this, you know, it does, it's, it's true that something happened to Peter Parker's father in real comic book story in the real comic book, uh, uh storylines. But I, I, you know, it just seems like, you know, overdoing it is too much. You know, of course, you know, in, in, in actual comic books, it gets even worse because, you know, Gwen Stacy dies, oh, spoiler. And, um, and then, uh, she comes back as a clone who <laughs> wasn't Spider-Man a clone too, at some point. I mean, yes, it's really, really lame. Um, I call spoilers for future sequels. Huh? <laughs> Spoiler alert for future sequels. They will never do the clone story in films. Trust me. That's just that's just a big f you to everyone. I don't know. Give, it's stupid. It's just necessarily uh, give them time. Know. I mean, I I, w- I re- honestly wasn't expecting a Spider-Man reboot this soon. Yeah, it, 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 it's a bit soon. Yeah, Especially it really didn't convince me need to be made. Especially since they're just telling the same story. Yeah. It, yeah. it might have been an okay idea to recast and then go forward, but even then it's tough. It, it, they have a tough road because, honestly, the reinvention was not necessary. Yeah. But mm-hmm. they, they didn't want to let it lie. That's their trick. They wanted to keep making it. Actually, they, they have two reasons for doing this. One is because Spider-Man is still phenomenally popular. So mm-hmm. why would I want to wait eight years to make a sequel or a reboot when I can make it in three or four and still make all that bank? Yeah. Right, it's not like they have to wash the bad taste away from people. Because Spider-Man Three, despite not being beloved by everyone, was still not hated, not on the level of like Batman and Robin. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is because it's Sony. Uh, this is the same problem with X-Men movies. Uh, because of the 
dis- distinct uh, issues with the, the contracts with Marvel. Marvel gets those characters back if a film is not made after a certain period of time. Mm. So if Marvel does not, if 20th Century Fox stopped making X-Men films for like eight years or something, all the rights would, reserved, would revert to Marvel, and then Marvel would be able to do X-Men versus Avengers if they wanted to. Mm. The problem is, um, Mar- uh, 20th Century Fox would basically, they, they would just make a, a piece of crap movie for three million bucks and throw it in the can, trash can just to make sure they kept the film, mm. kept the rights. Sony has that same issue. They have to keep making Spider-Man films. Mm. So I don't know if there's actually a statute of limitations. I, I don't know the contracts that well. But mm. actually, I don't know them at all. I just know they exist. Mm. But they have to make Spider-Man movies to retain the rights to keep making Spider-Man movies. Otherwise, they're going to go back to Marvel, and then Marvel will be able to have Spider-Man join the Avengers, which is, of course, what a certain part of the fan base wants. So mm. in a sense, they have to keep making them. This is why we got X-Men First Class, by the way. Mm. So what were, what did you think about uh, the other trailers, Batman and uh, the Avengers? And oh, well, Avengers I only saw briefly, and it looks fun. I have no issue. Mm. I mean, you know, it's great to see all those faces, and uh, everyone loves Robert Downey Jr. And uh, I, I look forward to Chris Evans as Captain America, so that's cool. But um, Batman is just a teaser. Yeah, I really withhold judgment. You know, the internet is is really just poisonous. You know, and if they get on it, they'll they'll be all behind it to the end of time. So you know, I I was a little frustrated at reading all the reactions, though. It's just it's just annoying. <laughs> yeah. We like how much it. can you complain about like thirty seconds? How much can you complain about you know them giving you fifteen seconds of footage? I don't know, you know how I, much I discussion com- can come out of it. I read complaints about the dialogue being too cheesy. And it's <laughs> like, come on, what do you want? It's like ten seconds. <laughs> you know, I mean, probably in context, it's not like Dark Knight didn't have some cheesy dialogue. It had cheesy dialogue. So the Batman Begins. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just you know if you do it in the whole context you're able to take it because like, you get the tone the characters the acting the whole thing going it, it, you know it's hard to do right now they're just operating off of goodwill from the last film but there's so much goodwill it's fine and mm-hmm. uh, it's a teaser it's not a trailer mm-hmm. the, the Spider-Man thing is a trailer they gave you a lot um, you know, it doesn't matter we'll still see them yeah that's the truth <laughs> Kevin, what was your what was your thoughts on uh, the stuff you saw? Um, well, I, I'm not convinced that Spider Man needs to be made. Um, it's just origin story is too soon for another origin story. I wish they just went. I'm not sure if I'm sure, but uh, you know, the Incredible Hulk, where they didn't really reboot the story, they just kind of took it to different direction. Um, Batman, you know, I watched it with, even even if I didn't see his teaser, so it didn't matter to me. Um, Avengers looks fun, like like Ross says, no problem. Joss Whedon's gonna do good with this. Um, Grandmaster is just, you know, Tony Lund fighting, Tony Lund playing Keanu Reeves, playing you know Neo, essentially without without all that Dragon Ball flying stuff. Uh, it's it's a nice action scene, but it didn't really tell me what the film is. It, it doesn't really tell you what the film is gonna be like because you know, Wong Kar Wai, you know, is probably gonna cut it anyway. It's not even gonna be in the final film. Um, and I think I think Ross had a stronger opinion of the White Snake trailer. I mean, I never seen the original, so I mean, I just thought it, you know, it's like a nice, you know, big special effects epic. Didn't really excite me, but Ross, I think you had a really strong reaction to the to the Sorcerer and the White Snake trailer, right? Well, it's not really a strong reaction. It's only a reaction to the Troy Hart Green Snake. Because yeah. you know, I really like the Troy Hart Green Snake, which is you know, admittedly a really wacky movie, just bizarre and strange. But you know, the Troy Hart movie had some real ideas behind it. There's really a themes and and. Uh, there's more going on than just a, a grand uh, visual feast with, like, you know, love. And, oh, no, a monk gets in the way of love because she's <laughs> a demon and he's a human. 
and what will they do? And then they have to fight other demons along the way. That's what this film really looks like. It looks like they're playing up the romance angle between uh, the White Snake, played by uh, Eva Huang, and uh, Raymond Lamb's scholar. And Jet Li gets in the way because he's the monk who has to stop this. But, you know, who has to stop this, like, you know, this, this breaking of heavenly law where, you know, a demon can attain human form and fall in love. But the Choi Hark version had a lot going on in it. You know, and it, it, it explored its themes really in a really corny manner, but it was really, uh, you know, it really had so many levels to it when you watch it. All right. Well, we're going to have a lot more trailer stuff to probably talk about in the weeks to come with uh, probably a lot more coming out of Comic-Con over the coming weekend. Uh, but for now, it's time to move on to our East Screen section. All right, so up first, uh, the film we talked a little bit about in the news section, Mysterious Island. Uh, this coming from director uh, Chung Kai-chong, starring Jordan Chan, uh, Minnie Yang, and a crew of people from all over the place, including uh, the guys. that They were in Shine, right? Uh, the, 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 yes. Yeah, the, the Shine Boys. Shine Reunion. Um, yeah. And uh, Anya, is Anya Yeah, in there? the return of Anya, yeah. wow. Um, so, you know, some, some recognizable faces. Uh, the basics of the story are that um, a, a group of young people are being shipped off to this remote island to take part in a game, a survival, survivor-style game, where they're going to be left on the island with no resources, um, uh, no real tools of any kind, uh, and they have to try and find... I think they're looking for a flag, right? Um, mm -hmm. And if they found the flag, they would win a bunch of money. Um, one million U.S. dollars. Yeah, one million U.S. dollars, which isn't actually that much money anymore. But uh, that's basically the setup. So uh, they're on their way to this island. Um, this event is being sponsored by this TV mogul um, who has dreams of using, I guess, the publicity from the program to set up this island as a sort of a, a, a theme park. Um, I completely forgot about that. But yeah. then again, so did the film, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that, that sort of sets up the introduction. Um, unfortunately, strange things start to happen, uh, beginning with a, a shipwreck. Uh, the, the, the yacht that they're on wrecks, and they all end up washing up on said island. And they decide they're going to go about their business because they think this is just part of the test uh, of the game show. Uh, and they will try and continue to search for the flag. But things start to go awry um, when they start to believe that the island is haunted by a leper ghost. Because they find that th there's a, a structure, a building, which turns out to be a church of a former uh, leper colony. Um, not much else really to say about the plot other than we've talked about this is doing really well in China, and we also talked about some of the rules with regard to films in China. If you know those rules regarding things like supernatural and ghost stories, you can kind of figure out what's going on in this movie, um, or what isn't going on in this movie, despite what the movie wants you to believe. Um... As I mentioned, that there's this TV boss and, and his father, who's like this old, old man who's adamant about not sending anybody to the island. But that plot never really goes anywhere. They just, it's an early scene, and, and right. we're never, we never really return to that. Um, the boat is wrecked by what we're led to believe are 
submarine-style cloth ghosts um, that end up making the boat wreck. That never really get that part. Never really gets explained. Um, and it's stuff like that. There's there's because the film's trying to lead the audience to believe this is one thing, but by the end, when the truth is revealed, a lot of the odd things that happen are never really explained. Um, and for me, that's a really lazy type of storytelling. It's kind of cheating the genre um, because it's making you believe that one thing is happening, but if in fact that thing is not happening, they need to at least go back and explain how certain things happen, and they don't do that. Um, so I, I kind of find that a little bit dishonest. Uh, technically, this does what every sort of cheap, um, sort of, I, I'd want to say, non-experienced director would do in terms of creating a, a scary film, and that's just throw a lot of loud noises um, at you and sudden sort of jump moments. And they just overuse it. I mean, there's scary noises at every turn. I mean, right in the beginning, one of the actresses comes out of the toilet on the yacht, and there's a scary sort of jong. Um, and it's like, why? Why Why was that there? It's just there to, you know, annoy you if you don't like loud noises. A lot of languages here. Everybody's speaking a different language. The two hosts, the cameraman and, and the host are speaking English for most of the film. Um, a couple of the people speak Mandarin. Some of the uh, recognizable faces are speaking Cantonese. One of the actors is speaking Japanese. And they're all mixing it in. Um, so, for example, the Japanese guy is speaking Japanese and everybody seems to understand what he's saying. And they will speak back to him in, in Mandarin Cantonese. I don't really have a problem with that. And I've, I've talked about this before. I don't mind if films want to do that as long as they're doing sync sound. But a lot of this was still done in post, which kind of made me think... Uh, maybe they ran out of an audio budget and they just went with the initial recordings. Um, but there are many dangers on the island, like wild boar. And the wild boar looks like a little stuffed toy that they shake in front of the camera. Um, <laughs> and at the same time, they've got sound effects of like, you know, just dozens of boars running around that you never actually <laughs> see. Um, it's really kind of laughable. Uh, if it was a student film, I'd give them an A for effort, but it's not a student film. Um, and there's just false sound effects all over the place. Um, you hear these screams, which just aren't there, and it, it just doesn't, you know, there's like female screams when a person's, a, male's, a male guy's getting hurt, and just really weird kind of, it just looks like they went into the sound effects file and picked out everything that they could use at any given moment because it seemed like it would be scary but it just doesn't make sense in the context of what's going on in the film again i say, say it's just lazy filmmaking uh some of the deaths once you figure out what's going on and go back and think about it don't really make sense um they should have just taken all these guys because they're all pretty people for the most part except maybe jordan chan um <laughs> they, they should have just made this like a temptation island style romantic comedy or something rather than trying to go for um, the, the cheap scares that they were going for probably would have been more entertaining. E I mean, even at the very end, I won't spoil it with who, who survives, but by the end you won't care. Um, but there's the, the very last shot is one of these shots where the, the, the character looks back and you just hear a scream. It's like, what, 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 what is that? Where is that coming from? What does it have to do with anything? It was just, it was lame. Um, and again, going back to the story where we talked about where this film is doing... Um, pretty good business in comparison with Wu Shan. I just have to say, what the crap? 
I mean, why are people <laughs> paying for this? Don't pay for it. Go online, look at the three point something rating and tell yourself that's too high. Right? It, it's just really, it was really, really poorly done. Wow. Um, Ross, <laughs> Ross, I don't know. Am I wrong on this? No. <laughs> Not at all. You know, you know, I had fun with it, but only because I know that it it is really unpretentious about what it's doing. It's not pretending to be good, but as a result, it just, it's no good. That's it. It, it doesn't pretend that it's good and it isn't good. Yeah. Yay. So, um, but you know, it's fun because it is so, it's clearly, they don't care about the details. You were saying that nothing makes sense. It will take it all the way back to the premise. It's like, if this is really a reality show on this Island, does no one care that the, that the boat sank? Yeah. <laughs> How come no one knows that the boat sank? Yeah. And why is it no one is on this island but the, these people? Why do they allow the Japanese guy to bring on a hunting knife? <laughs> Which he like likes to like finger in a really bloodthirsty manner for no reason whatsoever. Other than it's interesting to watch Hiroyama act evil. Even though he's really not. Yeah. No. Uh, well, maybe he is. Who knows? I don't know. Um, it's like... It's like the whole thing is just bizarre. Yeah. And like the part where, you know, they get chased by the boars. It's like really funny because the camera's so hyperactive and people are falling down hills, running up into trees and falling out of the trees, falling to small ravines, rolling down the hill. And they all show up and they're just a little dirty. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, what is that? I mean, yeah, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And like the main girl, Minnie Yang, is basically stupid. <laughs> and scared all the time. Um but, you know, at the same time, it's got that trashy feel that makes it kind of fun. Like how a couple of the girls are willing to, like, you know, take off their tops to uh, get the key to find the, and they get the map to find the, the treasure, the, the, the flag, so they can get the treasure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, like, really funny because it's, like, I've never seen a movie like this where everyone had to take a shower so often. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was like, oh, I got to take a shower. And it's like, okay, well, we're going to watch you because we don't want to see you do anything bad. <laughs> so you know they just tease you with the girl taking her clothes off even though you don't see anything they, they tease you with it frankly beach spike could have used scenes like this <laughs> okay you know just these kind of like pseudo salacious scenes like i said you don't really see any nudity but it's like the idea that the girl is trying to taking off her clothes behind like a sheet and the people are just watching her suspiciously it's, it's very comic let's face it and Will like just make a really good category free movie you see that that's this is my biggest complaint about it okay actually um, the movie I would give a pass to some extent because on some level this is what the audience is expecting. They just want to go. They're a bunch of teenagers. They're sitting down with a bunch of their friends. They're hoping to be scared. And yeah, the loud sounds freak them out. They don't really think about the logic. They don't care. Okay? Mm-hmm. And it does its job. In the end, it sucks. And they're like, oh, ha, ha, it sucked. Ha, ha, ha. Let's go get a drink. Okay? <laughs> That's their afternoon. That's pretty much it. Um, so it does its job. And for a 5 million RMB, film but it pulled in 15 based on that premise no one would be screaming and yelling we do think that yeah the movie still sucks but the fact that it makes 65 is just a miracle that's all but the biggest issue is that the movie has no playability anywhere outside of that that uh that setup the setup that you're a teenager you're with five or six of your friends you're getting popcorn and sodas one of your friends accidentally spills the popcorn one of them spills the soda you yell at each other during the screening you yell at the screen that's it you know you can't watch it again later. You can't watch it at home. If you make it the centerpiece of your evening, you're just in for a bad time because <laughs> it doesn't have anything extra. You know, what this really could have used is um, an extra layer of violence. 
Mm. An extra layer of exploitation. It's true. I don't want to sit here and say that, you know, this is the type of films they need to make nowadays. You know, although I'm sure some people would say they do. <laughs> China won't allow it. We know it. They, you can't make extremely violent films. And they won't allow, like, nudity for the sake of nudity in China films. Mm. So you can't, you know, and these actors aren't going to do it anyway. But, you know, they could use that. You know, and the girls are, they, if they're not top-heavy, they're, like, patting themselves in this film. <laughs> you know, there is a lot of time spent, like, like kind of looking at their chests. <laughs> yeah, they're it, all wearing tank mm-hmm. tops. Yes, it's like uh, what's her name? The uh, Jessica Shu. She's the one who uh, who speaks English really badly. I might add <laughs> um, in the film, like twice she has to like rip her her top off to to show her uh, her bikini top for no reason. Yeah. One, one, one like, because she somebody knocked over a beehive and she was being attacked yeah. by bees. And the second time she needs to take a shower. <laughs> <laughs> but then she's surprised by uh, Ken the cameraman played by Sean Tam. And then she like starts yelling, Ken, Ken, it's really, really stupid. Okay? <laughs> it's really bad. But, you know, um, yeah, they could have used that extra layer of exploitation. Are you really going to tell me that Friday the 13th would be good if they got rid of all the uh, gore and nudity and sex? Not really. You need to push those boundaries to, get, to, to make it interesting. To make it, you know, um, something you would watch later. Because then it's all about that titillation. It's like, oh, you know, they're going to show something risque, and then, oh, they killed them. Yay. And this, they just killed them. Nothing really risque happens. So, so yeah, it's, it's, just, it's, just, it's just sad that, you know, you can't make the type of film it should have been. This should have been that type of film. So, and, so well, that and is failure. That's mm-hmm. not my biggest problem. My biggest problem is that this should have been one kind of a genre, and it's not allowed to be. So they, they throw in this thing at the end scooby-doo that's that, what I that call doesn't it. explain anything of what happens what's I'm, the scooby-doo ending yeah i mean Where but there's like no the, there's no explanation of the crazy of, of the mechanics or or any of the any of the stuff that was going on i mean even at the even in the beginning when they're doing the flashback right and you're shown something I mean, that happens to a certain character's mother and it's setting up your belief that this is going to be one kind of film but then it's not and how can that possibly happen if that's the case you know it's it's just no it, it, it is so true what you're saying is absolutely true it basically is a supernatural horror film with ghosts until they have to stop making it one yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then it stops being one and there's an explanation because someone appears and says i was behind it all along you know and we don't even know what they're doing apparently they must be like a uh a genius engineer and the whole island is, is like, you know, set up like, you know, Disneyland. You can control the whole, the whole thing from your like control room. Like, is this like the Silent Hill? Is this like a deus ex harmona? You know, it gets harmonized because it's China. It's not even harmonized. You know, admittedly when that happens, there's still some, some, some pseudo slasher stuff that happens. That makes it semi amusing. And, and actually the, 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 uh, the performer who shows up to be evil it's so gleefully evil that it makes no sense. <laughs> so, so it has some value in that, you know, this is really bad cinema. But you see, the thing is, you know, if I saw it in the theater and, like, there were a bunch of kids around me, I was amused for that reason. But, yeah, I would never, never tell anyone to, to, like, gotta watch this movie or, you know, rent it. It's not even a renter. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. You know, it can be enjoyed on a certain level. But it, in the end, it, it is just, you know, it can be enjoyed on a certain level, but never as something you purposely have to go out of your way to see. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead and leave it on if you're doing something else. <laughs> um, I'll buy it on VCD. 
it, I have to admit, I was somewhat amused by it. But a lot of my amusement is by the fact that, yes, it's just so bad and so uh, shoddily done. And, and you know, at least, like I said, you could see people. The night li- the, the lighting at night was... was, was, was <laughs> yeah, the lighting was top-notch. <laughs> I can see the actors. Um, yeah, one thing I will have to say, though, that if you are don't know who the actors are in this film, you'll be really lost because you're like, who is who? Yeah, yeah. Who's that person again? I'm like me. I was only able to follow it because I knew who the actors were, and the ones who I didn't know, I could figure out by process of elimination. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you know, it, it's 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 just uh, it would have made a yeah. good story. And if you don't particularly like Shine, either of the boys from the group Shine, uh, you'll enjoy this film in a couple. Oh, of the oh come on! <laughs> but they oh. just act like themselves the whole damn time. Um. I will say it, it's like this basically is this the story of a survival horror game. Yeah. But story, with yeah. Hmm? But with ghosts. Well, you know, e- even the twists are belong in a survival horror game because they were just trying to sell it to you. Mm-hmm. You, you probably believe it more because you're playing the damn thing. But here you're not. So, you know, it's, it's just it's just a bad premise and. It's really weak, and they don't even support it. And it just seems like they know it, and they don't care because they're making a five RMB movie. <laughs> and, you know, George Chen is like, called it I... permanent Resident Evil, right? <laughs> you know, you know, George Chan's like, shit. This is just a, sorry. This is just a vacation from Sherry for like a couple weeks. Yes, <laughs> I got married. She won't leave me alone. Now I, can, now I get some time away from her. Baby needs a new pair of shoes. <laughs> Shine is upset. It's like, goddamn, I see this guy all the goddamn time. <laughs> <laughs> and he's here too, but it's a check. Yeah, you know, this is this. It's, you know, next week's Kung Fu Hip Hop Three. Yeah, it, it, it's really at least they don't throw in that type of stuff. They don't try to make a story that has some meaning, like a girl finds herself, or there is an issue of trust or honor or or whatever. There's none of that stuff ever happens. There's not even a lesson. <laughs> it's just you know pure whatever. The lesson is uh, probably no. don't watch this movie. Well, huh? I think that you know if 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 they would have approached this from that aspect if they would have just said you know what we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna take these kids we're gonna dump them on an island and they start getting killed off you know more more of a friday the 13th kind of a thing and and not try and tease the whole other aspect of it it probably would have been a better film but i think we just have to look at it this way this is not a real film It's not made with any of the things that we look for in films, yeah. which is, which is purpose. <laughs> films are made for a purpose. They have an idea. They have creativity. They have things that can surprise you, things that demonstrate um, direction. You know, creativity, thought. This movie doesn't have those things. <laughs> you should get it on a DVD box. Uh, Mysterious Island, not really a movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty true. It's just, <laughs> It's just a silly product. Um, it's certainly, you know, it's certainly to me, no, not much worse than Beach. Actually, I would consider it better than Beach Spike, because <laughs> Beach Spike is like trying to sell me something. You know, Beach Spike is really trying to sell me something. Mm-hmm. A story about young girls who find themselves on the beach. You know, uh, cooperation between neighbors, unifying the the neighborhood. Kung Fu and volleyball. Yes, it's just trying to sell something. <laughs> Ideas or emotions, and it's just all crap. And Bay Logan. Yes, and, and, and Bay Logan is the father, and, and like, you know, and uh, 
the noble patriarch of this family, <laughs> torn apart by years of uh, God knows what bad diction. You know, and and now they're together again, and they're reunited by volleyball. I mean, who gives a crap? <laughs> I mean, who buys this? Uh, you know, I much more believe a bunch of selfish people end up on an island and uh, run around freaking themselves out until they all die, except for two or three, and then one of them's a bad guy. <laughs> So it's just like, you know, I appreciated it just because it was not, I, you know, I, like I said, I would never recommend it to anyone. You know, I think anyone who listens to me will know what, if this movie was for them just based on, based on what I just said. <laughs> That's all they need to know. Uh, but and to that one level, person yeah, out there, you know who you are. <laughs> I just I just think it's less less annoying than Beach Spike. Yeah. You know, Beach Spike at least, you know, had a few things that, you know, girls getting hit in the face with volleyballs, but, but that's only one second. Yeah, there's the, there, there's the comment blurb for the DVD box. Less annoying than Beach Bite. <laughs> uh, you know, just 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 what I'm saying. You know, it's it's Beach Strike tried to get me with gimmicks. This other movie has no gimmicks. It is what it is. And so, yes, if you had made me choose between Beach Spike and Mysterious Island, I sadly would choose Mysterious Island. <laughs> there you have it, folks. Mysterious Island. Or you could do yourself uh, one better and go and read the. Uh, book mysterious island by uh jules, jules Verne. Verne. yeah that's right uh, all right jules approved of this yeah <laughs> let's move on to our second e-screen film for this week the latest feature from patrick kong love is the only answer so kevin uh since you didn't get a chance to talk much about mysterious island uh why don't you tell us a little bit about uh patrick kong's latest yeah sure i mean how, well how do i follow such a masterpiece uh, with this film. <laughs> um, okay, Love is the Only Answer is the latest film by Patrick Kong. I believe this is his third film in a year. Uh, Marriage of a Liar, Mr. and Ms. Single, and now Love is the Only Answer. Uh, it's uh, his second film produced by Wong Jing. Uh, and this time he's kind of changing the cast a little bit, mixing the Marriage of a Liar cast with his old um, um, Go Label cast and bring in uh, TVB star Charmaine Shea. Uh, she plays Bobo, a fruit store owner um, who was going to get married to uh, a guy named Ryan, played by Alex Fong's son. That's the swimmer. Uh, but on the day of the wedding, um, Bobo plays a video of um, her, 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 her groom-to-be uh, having sex with the, uh, I think it's supposed to be a maid of honor because that whole scene is based on an urban legend. Uh, we'll go, go, go more, into, more detail into that later. Um, so, of course, the wedding is called off. Uh, and then cut to a year later, uh, apparently Ryan and Bobo are still kind of friends, uh, mainly with Ryan using Bobo to dump his uh, young girlfriends. Um, and his latest scheme is uh, dragging Bobo to a wife-swapping party where they meet... Um, what's that name? Um, the, it, him Law uh, playing... Kid. What's his name again? Kid? Kid. Kid, Kid. Okay. Yeah, Kid played by Him Law and um, his wife. Um, played by Sue. I think, Sue. Sue. Thank you. Sue. Played by played Kelly. By Kelly Fu. Kelly Fu. Yeah, I saw the name Kelly Fu. I didn't see the name Sue. Um, so of course the the wife swapping between Ryan and Sue happens, but um, Bobo, who who isn't really into the idea, um, rejects Kid. Um, cut to a few weeks, few months, whatever. Maybe a flashback. I'm not sure which it is. Is a flashback with a flash forward? I don't know. It's like lost. Um, uh, Ryan, Ryan and, and Sue are continuing their affair. And then Bobo, who is kind of jealous, um, is getting to know Kid. And they kind of 
get into their own little affair. And you know, meanwhile, we we see another relationship uh, played by Promise Girl, Angelia Chan, and um, is that Jason Chan playing the the, the boyfriend? Jason I'm, Chan is his name, but not the other Jason Chan. That makes sense. Jason Don't Chan's, worry. Not the singer Jason Chan. Yeah, not singer Jason Chan. TVE host slash actor Jason Chan. There you go. Yeah, we see uh, bits of scenes with those two uh, and their relationship. And, of course, it will work in later it, because it's a Patrick Kong movie. So you see a flashback of it at the end of the movie. Don't worry. It all makes sense. Um, it, appear, it appears that um, Love is the Only Answer was shot really recently because there are a lot of uh, references to recent things like um, Charmaine Shea's um, TV drama, which was, I think, on the air only two months ago. Uh, there were references to Vonnie Loy and Sex is Zen 3D. This is kind of the Hong Kong film that that we know and love is the stuff that you shoot in 20 days and you edit in about a week and they throw in the theater next week. Um, and it's kind of it's kind of fun to see these kind of recent references in, in the film. It feels like a really local film. Uh, like I said earlier, the starting point is an urban legend. Um, it was a story about a, a wedding wedding reception where a video exactly like it happened in the movie a video was played and it showed the groom having sex with a maid of honor and the bride essentially essentially calls off the wedding and that's where he started and then he continues on to like a, a, a this thing about wife swapping or, or spouse swapping but let's face it Patrick Kong is no Ang Lee. We can't really expect an ice storm here. Wife swapping is just an excuse for Patrick Kong to muse on about infidelity and, and lies that people tell each other. Uh, at least there's no backup lover here. So I, I appreciate that. But uh, other than that, it's really same old Patrick Kong stuff. And with that comes with the same old weaknesses. You have really sloppy writing. Uh, the acting's all over the place. Um, Patrick Kong not really a good director. The, the visuals, they're, they're, it's really lackluster. Um, but somehow I really kind of enjoyed it for some reason. Um, first of all, Alex Fong was actually quite good here. Um, I think back in Elf for Love, Elf for Lies, one of the comments is that Alex Fong was trying to, was learning from the school of, and acting school of Andy Lau. And he's kind of continuing that here, even though he plays like the worst guy ever. He's like the worst man ever. Uh, but he has that kind of charm that you kind of see in a young Andy Lau. I'm not, I'm not saying that Alex Fong would be an Andy Lau, but... I think he's attempting to follow that acting style, and it works here. Uh, Charmaine, who is trained on TV, um, really good at enunciation. So uh, Patrick Kong gave her a lot of speed-talking dialogue, and, and she was actually quite good with it. Um, she's not really a great actress yet, but I think she, so, she shows some uh, potential here. Um, I think she was okay for the role. Um, I think it's her first feature film in a couple of years, isn't it? The last thing was Lady Iron Chef, if I remember correctly. Yeah, unfortunately, yes. Yes, that was a couple of years ago. So her coming back to film, I think this is a good role for her to, to kind of take that first step. Him Law is really the most hilarious actor in the film. He, he's doing many things here. He's way out of his league. He has to play dumb. And then he has to play like a brewing anger thing. And everything it just comes off really silly. Uh, but he's really entertaining to watch for all the wrong reasons. And just for that, I think Him Law should get some kind of award for this film. Uh, just for trying, I think one of those gold star for everything. Um, again, again, so then I, I really had a good time, but I'm not sure if it was intentional, unintentional. One, you had him law, you know, every other scene he's in, we were laughing. But at the same time, some of the stu- some of these the jokes that Kong throws in is actually quite amusing. The local jokes about Vani Lei and and uh, Charmaine's TV stuff, and 
And there's a Steffi reference I thought was cute. Uh, I think Paul, you have some something to say about that. I was wait for you to wait. We we'll wait for it later. Um, so in a way, it's really best. I think the best Patrick Kong film since Elf of Love, Elf of Lies. But when we talk about Patrick Kong films, we really think about this in really relative terms because Patrick Kong has never made a good film. I think, um, but in that sense, this is kind of one of his better films. I even say it's better than Mr. Miss Single, which was just kind of there. It was kind of lackluster. There's nothing really to hate about it. But here, it's actually there's something that resembles resembles a, a fine, enjoyable film. Uh, just for the fact that there's no annoying friends like in Marriage of a Liar. There's no out of left field twists anymore. There's a twist at the end, but it doesn't. It's not mean spirited, or it's not. It doesn't come off nowhere. And just for those two things, this is already a better film than, than the usual Patrick Kong films. Uh, so one thing I have to bring back is that uh, the four supporting characters from um, Marriage of a Liar comes back. But they come back in a way that it's kind of like a horror movie. where there's, Because the whole main story is framed around them telling this story like an urban legend. So it just kept coming, popping on my mind where there's like the troublesome night but romantic comedy edition. You know, they should have these four guys frame all of Patrick Kong's future movies from now on. I think it would be a lot, it'd be a lot more fun that way. Um, so if, you're, if you've seen Patrick Kong's stuff, you know what to expect. I think this almost borders on a see it. Almost, almost. Uh, if you're just curious about the stars, I think it's a good... You know, it's a fine TV thing. If you're channel surfing on movie channels and you run into this movie, I think it's it'll be fine. Um, it's not a bad watch. Otherwise, you know, I can't. I can never say that it's a good film, but I would say I had a better time than I expected. And that's love is the only answer. Uh, Paul Ross, which one you want? Yeah, to start Ross, for? why don't you jump in? Um, I. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> you know, much you can add. I, you know, I have to admit that I, I had a good time with it. Uh, it is a little more enjoyable than other Patrick Kong films. It is short for a Patrick Kong film. It's around the same same length. Actually, it's longer. It runs longer than Marriage with a Liar. Really? Yes, a Shocking. few minutes longer. Marriage with a Liar just seemed like it was really long. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> you know, this film felt like it was ninety minutes tops. Yeah, ninety ninety three and ninety two. Oh, really? Because Mar- uh, the other one I thought was like ninety eight or a hundred. No, it was like 85, yeah. Mr. Oh, and Mrs. Was... Single was kind of long, wasn't it? Mr. and Mrs. Single was about 98, roughly the same, yeah. Okay, well, you know, um, this film, yeah, it's 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 better than average for a Patrick Kong film, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, he seems to have gotten some things down. The dialogue is snappier this time. It moves faster. Um, there's a lot of witty stuff in it that, that's fun. The local jokes are really fun because there's so many that are, are current. Things that are happening right now. Frankly, he's probably kicking himself. This whole Nick, Nicholas say Cecilia Chung thing is happening because he's like, "Damn it! <laughs> it only happened like fifteen, two weeks before. I could have been in my film." <laughs> no, you know, it's yeah. The jokes are really, really recent, all the way up to Sex and Zen, and even beyond that, like uh, probably just like stuff that happened like six weeks ago was in here. Yeah. Um. So it has that fun. Uh, there's a little lampooning of people lampooning themselves. It's it's something I liked about. When Kong did that movie, um, Nobody's Perfect. Yeah. Uh, people made fun of themselves. Alex Fong really makes fun of himself. Actually, Alex Fong's performance in this is really fun. Because yeah. he plays such a, glee, uh, he glee such, such a happy douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And, you know, there's no brooding, no anger by him. No, like, oh, how dare you accuse me of these things. He's just like, oh, yeah, I'm a douchebag. Yay! <laughs> and, you know, he's so happy that it becomes kind of cute. Yes, it is charming. 
you know, and, and he even makes fun of himself. Actually, he even makes fun of his own real-life scandals. Mm-hmm. The whole joke of, oh, I'm good with a camera. Yeah. <laughs> that plays on two things. It plays on his character in the film, plus a real-life scandal. Right. So it's got a good sense of humor in that sense. Um, so there's a lot of little things in there that are enjoyable. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's still Patrick Kong being Patrick Kong, so it still has all these stupid things to say about love and... And, you know, and a lot of it is, but it, it's, it almost is like it's better than it's, it doesn't rest itself on its messages. Mm. His other films really like, you know, this is the message. And he slammed it into you and said, this is what it means. Okay. This film doesn't do that as much. It gets, it, you really get the feeling it gets by more on its, uh, on mm. its, its dialogue and its, uh, its interactions with people. Um, than it does on like, you know, his big point. Um, that said, yeah, the direction is still shoddy. Uh, the use of flashbacks and all the uh, obnoxious music cues is still there. Uh, there's a lot of the, uh, you know, one point that all these flashbacks, you know, people are practically having a play-by-play commentary on their own flashback. <laughs> it's a bit much. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, you can't say these are really good films, especially craft-wise. They're not. Mm. Um, but they do have a certain sitcom fun to them. And, um, and this one loses a lot of the pretension of his earlier ones. Mm. So... Um, I, I was okay with it, and actually, some of the jokes were quite surprising, and I laughed. I also did laugh at um, Nobody's Perfect, which is not a great film either. But you know, but at least this one is like a lot shorter than Nobody's Perfect, mm-hmm. and also Nobody's Perfect scenes just dragged on and on, and people just it just devolved into people yelling at each other. Mm. But this film doesn't have that either. It seems like you know, it's like they, they learn sometimes. Okay, uh, you just got mad in the scene. <laughs> we won't continue this monologue for another ten minutes. Mm-hmm. which happens in a lot of other Patrick Kong films. So, um, so you know, for, for what this is, I, I'm okay with it. You know, it's... Uh, every, every recommendation is qualified. So if, if, you know, if this is the type of thing that, you know, if, if you do like the stars or if you do like the genre, it's interesting to watch for those reasons. Uh, you know, I would never use it as a way to convert people to certain Hong Kong film genres. It's not a conversion film. Mm. But do you, th- do you think Hong Kong, this is what... Hong Kong needs more to sustain local industry? Is this what is going to be needed to be done? Well, this is an entirely separate question. Well, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, besides, um, you know, if I, if I thought it was okay or I enjoyed it, I enjoyed it. And it wasn't, you know, it's not the worst thing he's done. You can never call it a good film, but you can say that it serves a certain audience that serves it decently and uh, it has its surprises and it has its fun. I was actually shocked. We laughed a lot more than the other people in the audience. Mm-hmm. And those are the people who I thought this movie was for. Maybe that's yeah. because we, we were there also to laugh at certain parts of the film. Yeah. I think only, only us found Himlaw funny. I think they took Himlaw seriously. I don't know why. Yeah, but you know, I think this is uh, the rare Patrick Kong film where I actually laughed at the film and with the film. <laughs> Most Patrick Kong films, I just laugh at the film. Right. <laughs> I don't laugh with the film. So in this one, I actually found some opportunities to laugh with it. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of it had to do with, yeah, certain actors. Alex Fong, I thought, was really fun. Um, once again, it's fun to see. It's fun to see a nice douchebag in a movie. Not one person that you hate. He he really is this. He really sucks. But you know, in the end, you don't mind. Of course, you know the film would never survive in real life because you know it's true that everyone's okay with him being a douchebag. But you know, once he starts doing douchebaggy things again, then forget it. Uh, as far as whether Hong Kong needs more films like this, it's not really a matter of whether they needs them. It's more like can Hong Kong afford to make films besides this? <laughs> Hard to say. Uh, Hong Kong, you know, that you know, it, it's this is something that's uh, that's in their wheelhouse, basically. Mm-hmm. 
they can make this film. And um, if they're going to make them like this, it's all right. Uh, ad nauseum is a bit of a problem. But, you know, this is a genre that's very viable, and uh, hopefully they keep it up. But at the same time, you want them to make other things. You want them to make dramas, action pictures, real romances, sophisticated comedies, lowbrow comedies. You, you would love it if they could make all those genres. Uh, they can't anymore. You know, this is just one of the genres they can make because they're cheap to make. Mm. Cheap to make, and the cast comes cheap, and you don't have to have massive setups. You don't have to plan stunts. Um, no casts of thousands. It's just, you know, a very cheap urban comedy. And, um... And, and you got that little nostalgic moment where um, Alex Fong and Charmaine Shane and on the, in the middle of Causeway that. Bay. Yeah, in the middle of Causeway Bay, and they didn't even bother clearing out the crowds. So, like, a big crowd started gathering behind them and looking at them. It was like, hey, look, there's Alex Fong and Charmaine Shane. Hey, Not only the that, they were recording. Yeah, exactly. You, you could see people holding up video cameras and their phones in the background, and at least the cinematographer had the sense enough to... Um, you know, yeah. change the change the the depth of field so that everything in the background was kind of out of focus, but you could still see it. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, but you know, this was this was a cheapie. I mean, you even said that a lot of the music was just taken straight from Final Cut. Right. Yes. It's all. It's all. I mean, there's a, there's a ton of background music that's used in different scenes, and it's just taken from uh, the Apple Jam Packs. Which, yeah, so you know, if you've bought the jam percent. packs, you can use uh, royalty-free pretty much. Um, so if you're looking for the soundtrack for this movie, uh, just go out and buy the Apple jam packs and you've got it. The first theme song of East Green, West Green is featured in this film. Yes, that yes. was kind of yeah, weird. I, I noticed that, actually. <laughs> I was amused. I was like, this is really distracting and annoying. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's true. Uh, it's, you know, this is just a cheap product. And you, so you can, like, post on it if it doesn't meet your expectations. By all, all the things that were mentioned, you know, the 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 relevance and the jokes, which I which I'll I, I really liked, and I, and I liked um, the idea that I understood a lot of it. I think for people on the outside, uh, that's they're going to miss that. But I liked the characters here. Um, I liked Alex Fong's, you know, uh, douchey character, even though you're not really supposed to like him that much at the beginning. Uh, he does grow on you, and I think he works as a character. I liked Charmaine here. I thought she was fine. You know, as opposed to Marriage with a Liar, in which I didn't like any of the characters, and I didn't mm. care about any of them. At least here, if you're relating to somebody, you're relating somewhat to, you know, Charmaine's character. Although, there is a final revelation here, right? There is a moral to the story that, that Patrick Kong is again trying to preach about... Well, actually, it's a moral that kind of sucks. Yeah. Um, you know, about, about nice guys and, and, and bad boys and... And it's a moral that's not really new. I won't spoil it here, but you know it's kind of there and it's kind of in your face. And it's it's he slams that point home in you know the last minute of the film. Um, so so it does have that sort of. I I won't say. I mean, there is a twist here. Kevin had mentioned that it's not really an out of left field twist, but there is a twist here. But it, the whole film doesn't really hinge on that twist, so it still has a feel. Um, of, of a Patrick Kong film, but he seems to have figured out that he needs to move on uh, beyond it's, it's that. A super, it's not a super cynical twist. Yeah. Where it upends yeah. the ending of the film. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's the one thing that Patrick Kong films were kind of known for, which really sucks, is that he would end it a certain and then throw on that twist that just upends the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, he's, like he's, he's, he's in some circles, he's kind of known as the M. Night Shyamalan of, of Hong Kong film for a while. 
Um, Except he sucks at filmmaking. Well, M. Night's yeah. kind of... You, you saw The Last Airbender, right? I mean... <laughs> okay, yeah. But I mean, there's still at least technical achievements. And there's still technical achievements. There's still, you know, lighting, a creative camera work. Even yeah. the worst M. Night Shyamalan movies. Patrick Kahn is just... Well, he's. I mean, he's he's doing he's doing old style Hong Kong film here, like like I, uh, uh, Ross was saying. You know, he's he's basically shooting this in in a very limited time frame. Very recently, it's getting patched patched up, put together, and put out there. Back to the the, the, the twist. Even and I dare say, even the twist at the end is kind of earned. It's kind of foreshadowed throughout the movie. I was a little impressed at how well he laid out the the foundation for that twist. That is not it's not completely out of nowhere. Yeah. I think it was an accident. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it represents a leap in skill for him. I just think it was like a happy accident. Well, it just kind of worked out this time for him. Yeah. Good job, Patrick Kong. But but I don't think I, I I still don't have any faith that Patrick Kong. I you know I wouldn't be surprised if Patrick Kong goes back to his old, you know, the bad bad movies, the the whole string of bad movies. I wouldn't be surprised if he kind of goes back into his old old self after this movie. Well, I, ho- I hope not. I mean, I know that. Ross was talking about uh, nobody's perfect, and he didn't like that. I I, I still really like that movie, um, and I kind of feel the same way about this one. I mean, they're not fantastic movies, but in the spectrum of Patrick Kong films, um, I would say that for me, this one's kind of you know up there. It's above the fifty percent margin, uh, as was Nobody's Perfect. Whereas, especially when compared with Marriage with a Liar or um, what was that? Uh, that terrible horror film he did. Um, Forgive and forget. Yeah, I mean, it's this movie's just not aggravating like those movies were. His yeah. films can be really aggravating. Yeah, yeah. You know, when people sit there and scream for their like cry and scream for their monologues, you, you yeah. just you just want to like you know throw something at the screen. What 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 do you guys think about? I mean, he, he they kind of poked fun at this. Um, you know, they had a couple uh, digs at Steffi. Um, and here he's, <laughs> he's, 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 you know, using Charmaine, who's much better known for her TV drama work. Um, and I like her. I've seen, I mean, I, I, she's, she's done quite a few movies with, uh, or TV dramas with Moses and I like the two of them together. I wasn't sure I'd like her here with Alex Fong, but, uh, I think Alex Fong made the character work, um, even though their chemistry she- wasn't super strong, but what do you think about, I mean, is, is, uh, Patrick Kong done with Steffi? Do you think he's had enough of her and, and he's looking well, for a new... You know, there, there were those rumors that he was chasing her. Yeah. Remember those days? Yeah. 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 So, you know, maybe he just discovered that he's never going to get her. <laughs> oh. Well, that's that's apparently the same reason why he casted uh, uh, Chrissy in Marriage of a Liar. Really? Yeah, but pretty much any leading lady. He's almost like Zhang Yimou, except he can't really get the girl. <laughs> I, I won't make any comments about his... Uh, Suitability for such a thing, but um, he's the anti Zhang Yimou, right? He's Hong Kong and then also <laughs> never compare Patrick Kong and Zhang Yimou. <laughs> you know, not not in the same sentence. This is like Chris Webber and uh, Darko Milic. <laughs> you, you don't compare those two guys. Um, it's it's. I'm sorry. It's it's just. You know, if he was really chasing Chrissy, what the hell? Come on. <laughs> At least make better movies first <laughs> before you chase these starlets. Jeez, my God. But he does give his actress really juicy roles. And I, I think it, it was a good call that he finally got a real experienced actress. I mean, Charmaine 
say what you will about her roots, her TV roots, whatever, but she is, I think, really the most experienced actress that that Patrick Collins worked with. Doesn't she? Yes. Have, doesn't she have like a lot of earlier movie stuff with um, the the Happy Valley group, like William So and uh, right, 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 right with Julian uh, uh, Chan, yeah, yeah, Blue Moon and stuff like that, yeah, right, Julian Chung. She yeah. was in like very few films. Yeah, and she acts in these these thirty episode dramas, you know, a few times a year. I mean, let's face it; she she even had. I I would argue she's even had more uh, acting experience than say Renee Lil, who does maybe a, a film every year or two films every year. Yeah, and don't yeah. forget, Charmaine Shea was the uh, female lead in Always Ready, starring <laughs> Ethan Chang. <laughs> so you know, so you know, she's worked with the best. <laughs> She's she's done her she's done she's paid her dues her Eakin dues right you know she's worked with the best so you know she she can she can play off anyone now yeah. um, but seriously though you know one thing that was sorry sometimes she really seems like Alex Fong's older sister <laughs> yeah they don't really yeah. I mean she does seem they they don't seem to match age wise and I I, I was kind of thinking about that before we watched the the film that it was kind of a weird pairing um, I, but I think, I think in the right? over the course of the film. I kind of that moved beyond that, and I, I thought it was okay. Yeah, I actually was absorbed enough into the whole thing. I bought them during the film, but now in retrospect or in hindsight, yeah, it, it kind of it's weird. I yeah, can't because really, she's she's usually in her her dramas. She's usually paired off with Moses Chan, who's certainly not act. the same generation as uh, as Alex Fong, at least Fong Lek Sung, maybe the other Alex Fong. He's yeah. uh he's he's the Jordan Chan generation. <laughs> Moses. Yes. Yeah. 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 He's been around a while. Right. Yeah. Um, but one thing your question about is he done with Steffi? I kind of hope not. I would like to see Steffi back. Because, um, you know, really, Petra Kong movies are where she gets the most to do. It's like, you know, Casino, Casino, whatever. Um, Casino King or Poker King. Um, Poker her King. and that I was okay with. She was fun, but she really just gets shunted off because she really can't do a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. in, in other people's films, it's like Patrick Kong is the one who gives her more to do, and you know it shows her limitations. But at the same time, it's, it's kind of fun. East Green, West Green. All right, for our West Green film this week, uh, at long last, we have the final installment of the Harry Potter series, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part Two. Um, do I need to even give a synopsis of the no. film? It's, it's no. I, it's, I, think we start, you know I think we started this episode when the first film came out, so I yeah. think it's time we. I mean, if <laughs> if you've if you've come this far, you you know what's going on. Um, you're you're either a Potter fan or not. I can't imagine. I mean, there, maybe there's somebody in in the world of the the millions of people who are going to go out and watch this film that hasn't seen any of the other films. I I I. I I guess there's one person out there who's just going to go into this completely cold. Um, but I have to think not. I mean, that being said, it works fairly well as a standalone movie, but only when taken in the context with part one. I mean, if you just took both of the films that make up the seventh seventh book as, as you know, by themselves, I'd think they'd be okay. This kind of throws people into it um, right where the last, um, the part one leaves off. So just going into it cold that way, um, yeah, it's you're just not going to have a good idea of a lot of who these people are or, or what's going on. So I just can't imagine who would see it that way. Maybe there's somebody. I don't know. If you are... Someone did do that, actually. Yeah? 
I read an article online where a magazine sent two of its editors who had never seen a single Harry Potter or read any of the books to the last film. It's quite fun. I'll try to have to send you the link. I have yeah, to find it again. Yeah. If you find it, it's send amusing it, I'll, because I'll, I'll, well, see, it was amusing because there's everything they knew about Harry Potter was based on just the water cooler talk. Yeah. So they totally expected that Harry Potter was going to get together with Hermione <laughs> before the film, and then they saw the film like, oh, I guess that wasn't happening, and then they start complaining about how. Uh, they thought Harry Potter would have better taste in women. <laughs> he ends up with someone really dumpy. Yeah. Well, I, you know, in reading the books, I got to say, I was kind of disappointed that he did end up with who he ended up with. I was always in the Cho Chang camp, so. Um, uh, and she, she had. <laughs> Can't believe you fit that one. In. She, she had, she had almost no. Uh, she had a very limited role in the the, the movies. She had a much bigger. At least she showed up. Yeah. At least she showed up in the last one. Yeah. yeah. Um. Not not to uh, to 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 uh, be a Cho Chang hater, <laughs> but you know the way she's written in the books is actually quite realistic. But at the same time, really bad because it's like she just really feels like a girl who dates popular guys and has no sense of identity. <laughs> no, seriously. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, she just follows other people and it never, she never comes into her own at any point in the books. Maybe it's because we don't follow her. But basically, the view we have of her and the way she's portrayed in the books, not actually not in the movies, but mostly in the books, it's just that she really just feels like one of those girls who just, you know, doesn't think yeah. that much. Just so, sounds like I'm finding Lan Kui Fong. Yeah. Huh? Sounds like I'm finding Lan Kui Fong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, um, so yeah, uh, in turn, in terms of this being sort of the the last uh, of the series, uh, a little bit bittersweet. I mean, it is the end. Even if you're just looking at the films uh, as a whole, if, if you're not somebody who's experienced the books at all, uh, it is kind of the end of an era because we've seen these actors kind of grow up. A lot of people have grown up with them, um, and and so th- you know this this is kind of a on an ending uh, you might compare it to other long-running series something like star wars but in star wars when they did the prequels you had this break you had you know you had new actors coming in and 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 different characters coming in you didn't have that same sense of growth um so I, you know it's it's enjoyable i can't wait for the blu-ray sets i'm hoping they'll have like lord of the rings does now uh, extended editions uh, so i can sit down and just kind of have a marathon over the course of the weekend um but looking at the series as a whole for, for the films at least the first is still my favorite um it still conveys that sense of wonder and and magic um that that i think best represents the series what the series originally intended to portray this world as i mean you get halfway in and things bad things start to happen it just gets darker and darker and darker with each film and not not just in terms of the tone but it seems physically uh the world the way they shoot it the way that they do the, the cinematography everything starts to become darker and grayer and it it lacks that sense of of uh, magic and beauty for the most part which which does make sense in what terms of what's going on with the story um i don't know kevin what were your thoughts with it well, okay, but this is coming from a guy who's only read the first book, um, and uh, and the way the series kind of progresses, it's kind of an awkward stage because I think I watched it in the middle of high school, and this is like ten years later, and I never really 
quote unquote grew up with it. Um, as for this film specifically, it kind of jumps right into like a middle part or almost like a third act. Uh, it does not stand as its own film. Part two does not stand as its own film. Um, I think it would be a fine Harry Potter film if both parts were put together, even though it would be five hours long and it would be like over long. But I think it would be an okay Harry Potter film. Um, the, the second part is essentially a two-hour battle or you know half an hour set up to the battle and an hour and a half of battle. And um, in that case, the, the just part two in itself doesn't feel like a complete film and it's a little awkward for me, I guess. The final battle is really nice, but it's not mind-blowing. Um, I guess when you know the outcome of the story, when you read so much about it, when you hear so much about it, you know that certain characters are going to die and you know that you know there's what, what's going to happen. And in that way, there's really no surprises. And the film doesn't really pull anything out as a surprise. almost seems like something that just you know happens. Yeah. Um, for, for me, I think it's a fine conclusion. I don't think it's a really spectacular conclusion. Maybe because of that whole lack of element of surprise for me watching this last film feel like okay well now now i'm finished with it like it took eight movies and now i've seen every one of them and now okay i've completed a task uh i don't i'm not really so attached to the series as as you guys are most people in the world (laughs) are um but you know at least i enjoyed the series i think they were fine you know good entertainment uh i were it's not like a transformers for me where i just kind of have to watch it this it, there i did get some enjoyment uh watching this series and with that i think the third film is the best for me uh i really like what alfonso Cuarón did with the series uh it really does set up the 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 palette the color palette for the whole series i think he was the first his film was the first film that kind of went that gray went for that gray look and as for visuals i think it was most inspired, really inspiring, really inspired camera work, and I really liked the way the the story was told. And I don't, I've never read the book, so I'm not sure how it compares. I've been told that fans don't like the third film, but I really loved that third film. I could watch that over and over again, even without watching the other films. Um, seriously, don't jump into this as your first Harry Potter film. It's just a waste of money. You know, you have no idea what's going on. Even I got lost as to like, okay, Horcruxes. Okay, I kind of know what they are. I I didn't really get involved in the universe. I kind of got lost on some of the terms and I've seen all the films. So don't really, don't jump. If you've never seen a Harry Potter film, skip this. And, you know, if you have any, a slight, any bit of interest in the series at all and you've seen the films, I mean, of course, it's it's a no-brainer. You, you have to see it. You have to complete it. The epilogue, a lot of people kind of when said that they were touched by the epilogue and they're crying and things like that. I think the epilogue didn't really play out as well as I was hoping it would be. Maybe because of the way the actors looked. I don't want to give spoilers. I don't know. I don't know. Is it possible to spoil this this installment? Uh, or should I just stay it? Or I wouldn't. I wouldn't spoil it. I mean, if people haven't read the book, they may not know what to expect. So okay. Well, then the epilogue read. I read the but I never actually read the book, but I read the epilogue. <laughs> That's the kind of person. That's so I typical you too, you know. It's- I know that is terrible. <laughs> but I skipped straight to the epilogue. I remember reading the epilogue, and I like the epilogue in on paper better than than the way they pulled it off in the film. Um, so I wasn't really too touched by the end. But I think overall, in the last eight films, the last ten years, I think Harry Potter is a you know fine entertainment. I really. I can't say I'm, you know, totally in love with it. It's kind of me and the Lord of the Rings. You know, I think they were good films. I don't think they were great films. Same for Harry Potter. I think 
they were a bit of hit and miss, but I think overall it's a very good series of films, and I wouldn't mind watching again in the future. And I was, you know, I I enjoyed it for what it was. Ross, mm-hmm. thoughts? Uh well, did you cry, Ross? <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> I cried back in the, uh, the 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 fifth book when I realized that you know Harry Potter was not going to get Hermione. But <laughs> you know, honestly, the uh, it's. Actually, in my opinion, the Harry Potter movie series is an amazing accomplishment. Mm. I mean, it really is. The fact that they're able to keep it going and keep this high level of uh, the, the high quality level of the films, yeah, and, and keep the cast, with the exception yeah. of the the original Dumbledore who passed away, unfortunately, and, and, and also the kid who was in jail. Don't forget about him. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, the the one who got caught for for growing his own drugs and had to be cut out of the film. So you know, I'd be really pissed. At, you know, there's, there's two of them, right? Mm, there's yeah. like the ones who hang around with with Malfoy with Draco yeah. Malfoy right one of them got caught for drugs right so he couldn't be in the film and his character was supposed to die <laughs> so cause, because he couldn't be in the films someone else had to die in his place now if I was <laughs> another guy I'd be pissed <laughs> well, but at least he got screen time now he's in, he, now he gets to get into SAG because he had lines and he gets a deaf screen deaf you know okay, it, it okay, helps okay. another actor but but anyway you know they really are an accomplishment. It's amazing they were able to keep up this level of uh, of quality this whole time. It's just shocking. Because, you know, everything is about, it gets worse and worse and worse. Mm-hmm. You know, because you know when to cut corners. You know, oh, you know, people will just accept this. And, you know, they they they, they, they really were able to, to make it work all this time. So, you know, I think it's just amazing. When you step back and look at it, it's just shocking in a way. Because look at Star Wars. My God, Star Wars. What a mess. <laughs> <laughs> you know I still, I still like those films you know but the worst part about Star Wars is that it makes you dislike the earlier ones more in my opinion it's like I love the original ones and then you know you see all the prequels and then you just go my god what were they doing and, you know this all was a product that has no soul midichlorians F this <laughs> you know it's like wow it's, it's, it's this, this world of wonder and it's, and just uh, the, the unknown and like you know the force it's like religion and then like what it'd be like in this film when someone said Harry you have wizard beans inside you or something really <laughs> stupid okay yeah they really you see other series where they just destroy it well so, in that case the credit should go to J.K. Rowling for not sending the whole series off the rails well actually you know the real credit should be gone go to her and the producer also because mm-hmm. she prevented the, one of the, some of the things that she did really are what make the film so classy in the end because you know she really had like huge licensing issues mm-hmm. she prevented warner brothers from like marketing this thing to death because you realize they would have had like your harry potter aisle at toys r us with the first movie mm-hmm. you know with harry potter figures from from kenner mm-hmm. from hasbro so harry potter with rope harry potter without rope harry potter with glasses harry potter without glasses harry potter with dirty hair stuff like that you know eight variations of harry potter and one hermione she's short fat because she's the girl um, they would have done this with Harry Potter, but the reason they didn't flood the aisles with so much of this crap that George Lucas is happy to throw at people is because J.K. Rowling refused. She said, mm-hmm. no way, or you don't get the rights. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people in Warner Brothers were grumbling, like, um, stupid woman, she doesn't know, she's throwing away like a mint. But really, she, it, it, keeps, it gives the series a sense of prestige that you won't get. Because mm-hmm. it didn't sell itself to death. <clears throat> Yeah, but un- unlike Star Wars, it did become a theme park, so... Well, you know, I'm not saying she didn't sell it in some way. 
<laughs> what the heck? She has to make some kind of money. Yeah. Well, she doesn't need to make any more money. My God. You know, she's really upset is Warner Brothers, the people who could have made extra by licensing out to, like, you know, everything. Um, you know, I really wanted my Hermione mug and my, you know, in uh, my Harry Potter uh, brand glasses and uh, boxer shorts, but, you know, I couldn't get them. Um, <laughs> the reality is that, is that, you know, products, these are products in the end. And so they, they could have really, really screwed it, but they didn't. And so just by restraint or like people who really cared for the material, they were able to make it work. So it's really a co- an accomplishment. It's really amazing if you think about it, just to look back. Mm-hmm. And I think partially one of the reasons it worked and they could get all the actors back each and every time is because they could convince people that they gave a crap. Yeah. You know, they weren't always like saying, hey, you know, we're just out here to make the next one to bring in some more cash. Well, it seemed Come like on, for a on. while that... You know, um... they, 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 that uh, Hermione, uh, Emma Watson, was going to jump ship because she's like, she uh, she aced her A-levels or something, and she was getting offers from really, really good colleges, and um, she's got, like, a life well beyond acting should she choose to pursue it. Well, she's going back to Brown. Yeah. She's going back to Brown, yeah. So, I mean, good on her for that. Yeah. But I'm glad she stuck with it. I mean, I, I would have hated for in the the, the sixth movie... Uh, for them to bring in another person as Hermione. That really, really, really would have been terrible. Yeah. Um, but once again, it probably speaks to the level of commitment and the level of care that the other people working on it had. I mean, probably, you know, if it had just been some cynical money play, each and every one, it's easy to jump ship. Yeah. So, you know, you have to give a certain credit to the uh, the, uh, the actual, like, producers. Mm-hmm. Um, David Heyman. Um, it, it's like they really did an amazing job i i just you know it's amazing to think they could pull it off after all these years um that said you know they're, they're just they're just fun movies um they're not like movies to break the bank over or to cry over in my opinion sorry you know, i know everyone loves harry potter don't kill me um i'm not in hong kong i live somewhere else <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, what do you guys they're, they're fun movies this one is just uh, i said it in the opening i said you know it's really kind of weird to me that it's got the highest Rotten Tomatoes or Metacritic rankings, because you know, really, it, it's not its own film. Yeah. If I had to review this film, and you know, if I gave, well, the it's, it's just one, it's just like um, what was it uh, when the Return of the King film won the Oscar? You know, it's it's not winning for that film particularly. It's it's winning it for all of them, because yeah. you know, taken on its own, uh, you you can't really do that, right? Yeah. Yeah, but you know it's it's just weird in that way. It's not really its own film. It, it, you can't watch it that way. And and you know I I do think it you lose. I mean, at a certain point, even in the actual other films, like actually, I also agree with Kevin that the third one is the best. Mm-hmm. But that's when I really think the series took on its own life. It's like it started treating itself like a series and less like a, a like like individual one-off movies. Mm-hmm. Because the first two films were really weighed down by exposition. Hmm. And the third one, they kind of like said, well, you know, we could should explain this, but what the hell, we won't. <laughs> you know, they read the book. And if not, they'll accept it. I think the Harry Potter movies in some ways really kind of play into that, you know, the, the, the unwritten rule, okay, or the unwritten understanding that 60% of your audience doesn't give a crap about what they're watching. Yeah, they just want two you hours know, to Comprehension, kill. logic, huh? Yeah, so, the comprehension, logic, they don't really understand it. They don't really, they're like, huh? Why am I in this theater? I don't know. I was somewhere else before. I just went where the air conditioning is. <laughs> Seriously. That's what happened to me when I was when I was watching Mysterious Island. <laughs> <laughs> hey, maybe. But, you know, it's like a lot of people just wander into films. They just follow into, into other people in, you know. 
they don't really know what happened. They go, oh, yeah, I really like that. What happened again? It's, it's a lemmings happened? mentality. Huh? It's a lemmings mentality. But haven't you had that conversation with someone? They go, yeah, that was a really great film. What was it about again? Yeah. <laughs> You've had that conversation. It's like these films, they realize. We have that conversation every week right here on the show. <laughs> but I think well, they know that. So the people who really understand Harry Potter, they realize we don't have to explain everything to them. It's going to hurt the film to weigh it down with exposition, make it eight hours long. Let's just slice this out. They'll get by. Yeah. Let's, let's keep the stuff we need to keep and make it sound. And then the other people who realize that the people who don't, you know, stuff is missing, they don't realize stuff is missing. I'm mean, like me, to be honest, half the time they, they leave something out of the movie. I'm just like, I sometimes can't remember if they left it out or not because I did read the books. Yeah. You know, so. So I think, yeah, they kind of play off that that unwritten understanding of movie audiences. There are a lot of people who they really just just aren't there when they're watching a film. It ended for them when the movie ended. Um, what do you, what do you guys think of uh, David Yates as director? For I mean, he did the last four movies, right? Well, last five, I guess. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it really gave a sense of uh, there was de- there you can you can feel the continuity in terms of the the tone and the look of the films, mm-hmm. um, and I think that that was it was good that they had somebody there to to tell that story because you know. Uh, I, you know, a couple of those. I, I a lot of people like the Half Blood Prince, um, th- that I've talked to. Um, Order of the Phoenix, I think, in, in for me is one of the weakest books and weakest stories um, of for the films as well. But you know, the fact that they're kind of bridging these gaps and you have the sort of that same vision behind them, I think, worked pretty well in the end. Mm. To me, what I really would have liked to see in the films is, you know, to, to do a couple more things to really uh, make them do a couple more things just to just to flesh some things out that in the uh, the books maybe didn't do. Correct a couple small mistakes. Mm. Like give a little more to a certain character here or there. Mm-hmm. I would have liked to see that, but it didn't happen. Yeah. Like a little more with Snape, especially in the seventh book. Yeah. I always felt that Snape. You know, they build up so much for him. He needed to do a little more in the seventh book, at least with the main mm-hmm. characters. Mm-hmm. At least pay, pay to acknowledge some of it, but they didn't as much as you would have liked. At least yeah. this is my feeling. Same thing with other characters, like other professors like Lupin and guys like that. Um, yeah, well, they, they yeah, really a big omitted didn't, didn't quite a bit of what I remember as being important stuff for some of the supporting characters in this last, in you know, in the, in the last part. Um, and there was, I don't, I, I want to say it was in, um, I want to say it was in book six. It might've been in book five, but there was a lot of backstory with, uh, Neville Longbottom that was just yeah. never touched on in any of the movies. And, you know, it's like you said, most of the audience, you're not really going to notice it, but if you've read the books, it makes some of what happens in this film not quite as impactful as it should yeah. have been, had it been there, you know? Do you know what he's talking about, Kevin? Um, well, I'm not talking about the backstory, but it, it, you, you're, you're right. The, the, the result that the, the um, impact they were trying to go for, I didn't, feel, I didn't feel it. You know, the whole thing about Neville Longbottom or even Snape, the way the, 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 the payoff wasn't really as cathartic as it could have been, I think, because he wasn't so well-paved. Or when so actually, the Snape up. thing was actually kind of weak in the book, too, in my opinion. But at least you had internal stuff going on with Harry that you could, that could tide it through. This film, it felt like he just forgot about Snape. 
after that, the, the really important flashback <clears> using <throat> the, you know, whatever, the, uh, the, 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 the bow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the tear reader. That's what I like to call it. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, they, they didn't have, uh, any of that payoff because, you know, Harry doesn't have the interior monologue to really, to really process it. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of gets left. And, you know, I really wish there had been some acknowledgement more. They really needed to, especially, you know, considering what went on with that character. Um, there, there's a lot of things like that. You know, they could have done better. But in the end, they, they did as well as they could have, I think. And it, it turned out well. I don't really want to say whether the film is great or not, because at this point, it's all colored. I, I'm, I'm glad that it's not a film I have to review properly, because if I did, I would really have to think about it and think about what the things are that they they missed or the things are that they could have done better. I do think the ending was a, had kind of was dramatically not good. Mm. you know it's 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 a major gripe of a lot of fans that uh you know how harry ends up with uh somebody in the film <clears throat> too but well, not hermione obviously we're not hermione because we gave that away oh sorry <laughs> but um you know it, it's not handled well in the movies at all mm. you know you don't really don't feel for it it's just there it only matters because it was in the books yeah. that's not that's not fun that's not good it's like you know some things work really well just because they worked on screen uh, chief among them, the three main characters, their their rapport is really strong as actors. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that works, and so you don't have to think it matters because it's in the book. Um, but you know, in terms of Harry and who he ends up with, yeah, that's just because it's in the book, so you don't have that same feeling. Um, things like that needed better visual cues. It needed better development in the last, especially especially since they had a head start in the in the books. They should have known and found a way to really build it up early. They did that kind of with the whole Ron Hermione thing. They built it earlier into the movies than it actually happens in the books. Yeah. Because they knew it was coming. And they should have done that with Harry too, but they didn't. You know? So it's, 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 that's just one example. Um, a, a lot of little things. This movie had no Hagrid. Where was Hagrid? Yeah, he just sort of showed up. Yeah. Well, Hagrid, oh, yeah. Hagrid's been shot. He, he, you know, he's another one of the supporting characters who really kind of got pushed to the side. Uh, I just remember him being a lot more present in some of the books than he was in the movies. But part of me wonders if that was not due to Robbie Coltrane, because some of the things I'd read was that, you know, he was not always that eager to 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 do more of the films, or he, you know, I, I'm guessing it was because of the the special effects they had to deal with with his character. Um, you know, it wasn't as easy as a normal character, so. I don't know. It could be a combination of things, but yeah, I, w- I would have loved to have seen more of him, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, he really disappeared in the in the series. Just yeah. peters out. The series just kind of peters out at the end. There are a lot of payoffs that it needs, even payoffs that aren't in the mo- the book, mm-hmm. as a way to just bring it to a close. I'm not saying we need the endless scene where people just keep walking into the room. Oh, you're alive! Oh, you're alive! Well, they did do that. <laughs> Jump on the bed! <laughs> they, Yay! They they they, they kind of did that. Um, before the before the final battle, they kind of had a, or no, maybe it was right after they had like this retrospective of, uh, you know, the the, the, the the teachers, you know, um, and so you had characters that you hadn't seen for, uh, you know, two or three films, and they have like one second, you know. <laughs> yeah, the, I know what you mean. Uh, Lord of the Rings did it really, really, really amazingly. It's just fifteen minutes of this. <laughs> Walking into a room, you know, you expect like Sauron. Hey, here's Sauron. Yeah. <laughs> too. <laughs> Gollum's back. Huh? And Gollum's back. Yeah. yeah. Everyone's happy. Um. And Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, if you know, if, if we have anything to be thankful for from these films, um, can we say that it is at least that we got uh, the character of uh, Edward or Twilight? From out in one film, at least yeah. that was. I was glad that he was out in one film. In yeah. and out, just Pattinson. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. Pattinson. I liked him in the movie. <laughs> I liked the Harry Potter movie. I mean, that was yeah. my least favorite one. But it's because of Harry Potter that we now have him in Twilight, right? Okay, I guess. <laughs> well, in that case, well, I mean, jeez. For, for a series, I think I would like to see. I know it sounds. It would have kind of hurt the, the the harmony i guess in the last five films but i would like to see different directors like they did for the first half of the series different directors take on the material adding in kind of what they what they would how they envision the series um i i know david yates was was consistent but i think it would have been nice to see as a, i, I guess they should have gotten Gerald del toro to do the last film right yeah and they wanted and, and not even the last part two parts just the last part you know you just totally changed the vision of, of part two the last film with eight directors <laughs> there, there was yeah like a triangle right and like, bring on Wong Kar Wai just for a yeah. couple scenes yeah he didn't shoot a couple of scenes it's, it's like great we get a great revival um <laughs> Guy Ritchie here comes Guy Ritchie <laughs> Harry Potter David Lynch oh David Lynch out. yes <laughs> David Lynch you know That'd be great. It'd be a whole scene when they're speaking backwards. Yeah. That'd be awesome. There was talk that Gil- Terry Gilliam would have made like the most fantastic box office failure ever if he did like a Harry Potter movie. Yeah. <laughs> or you know, have John Waters do a couple scenes. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> or Tim Burton. Uh, Tim, well, Burton. Tim Burton would have been perfect fit for Harry Potter, actually. I think. Nah, he, he overwhelms the films now. Yeah, I think I, he does. Uninspiring, but it'd be Tim Burton with Michael Keaton as Voldemort. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. Well, actually, no. Johnny Depp would have played all the roles. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, uh, Johnny Depp is Hermione. <laughs> yeah, Johnny Depp, Hermione. And, and the thing is, well, at least you know his wife was already in it, so we don't have to worry about that. But you know, T- Tim Burton just would have overwhelmed it. He has this habit of overwhelming things to make them his own. It works sometimes; it doesn't other times. But sometimes I think that you know it's not necessary. Yeah. Um. Anyway, but yeah. Uh, Frankly, I've never seen Twilight, just so you know, any of them. Oh, you're missing out. <laughs> <laughs> now, Paul, now, Paul, that's just mean. If you thought <laughs> Mysterious Island was a good experience, let me tell you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I rag on the Twilight films. Um, they're not that bad. You know, if I kind of I kind of appreciate the second one, but I, I think that I, I know some people say the second one's the worst, but I kind of appreciate certain things in it. And and I don't mean the the, the, the topless guys. Yeah, I would not know. I have not seen a single frame. Why are we digressing into this now? Oh my god, can we stop? You yeah. talked about Twilight first, man. I wouldn't have even brought it up. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even start. It was Paul. Well, you know, no, it's it's so, because of the parallel because they're doing the same thing, right? They're doing the last book as two movies. So it's all relative. If, yeah. if what I read about the last Twilight book is true, the last movie is going to be batshit crazy. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, but, that's what everybody know, says. One thing, though, is you guys lament that Harry Potter is over. It's not. Mm-hmm. Do you think they're going to do because like I'm a writing- Clone right Wars now. style animation series? No, no, because of fan fiction. <laughs> Harry Potter lives forever through fan fiction. Yes. <laughs> you know? Long live fan no, fiction. There, <clears throat> there's, a, there's a series, seriously, there's an article on that in, uh, I want to say, Time Magazine, last week's Time, talking about 
um, the end of Harry Potter and the fan fiction that's out there, and it talks about some of the more, you know, popular um, fanfic writers and things. Um, so yeah, but I, you, you know, mean they're stars in their own right. I I would not be surprised that if if Miss Rowling gets a little bit bored, two or three years down the line, you know, she decides to do some not stories about the char- the main characters, but she's got a lot of backstories and. And that's not fan fiction. That's her, yeah. so it's okay. <laughs> but isn't that that, fan fiction? But isn't there that, that that website that's coming out with Pottersville? Pottermore. Pottermore yeah. was 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 released. Uh, I want to say um, two weeks ago. Casey talked a little bit about it. Right. And right. he, you know, he was excited about it. Basically, what I've seen is it's just a platform for getting the digital versions of the books. Mm-hmm. Um. And, and fan fiction. <laughs> that, well, there there's some speculation that there'll be, you know, there'll be some more interactivity in in, mm-hmm. in some of that and and the site and things. Um, that kind of stuff doesn't really excite me as much as the prospect of actually having, you know, new new material. Um, mm-hmm. Just having some pop up windows with new little facts and figures, or or sort of like a live uh, uh, Harry Potterpedia. Or something like that. I, I'm not all that excited about that kind of stuff. But if you know, they said, "Well, we we're going to do a new book series," you know, uh, about young uh, Voldemort or about young um, um, Dumbledore. Oh, I certainly hope not. You don't need another. Uh, <clears throat> you don't need another Star Wars episode, yeah. whatever. Young Jar Jar yeah, we don't, yeah, we don't need another like yeah, where <laughs> you have Voldemort going no, <laughs> Potter no, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> fan fiction, you know, fan fiction. People like to write themselves into the uh, into the story. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's frightening. But you know, you could even go on to say that all online fan criticism is a form of fan and fiction. Well, to some extent, I mean. So it's like no, no, no longer am I just watching this stuff. Now I am part of the narrative. Yeah, it's just like us criticizing Patrick Kong, right? It's. I have made Donnie Yen popular worldwide. And I have never dated Steffi, though, so I can't say anything. Uh. (laughs) Yeah, you you, you can do this now. You can now say that I'm the one who's brought this to you. (laughs) All right. Well, so now Paul, you can tell people you bought Steffi to the world. Yeah. Uh, Not Not into the world. I mean, to the world. Not not, into the world. Not likely. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, wow. We are way over time. So (laughs) I'm going to have a lot of editing to do. Two so hours. I think uh, we will end our discussion of uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. All right, that's going to be a show. Um, we'd like to say thanks again to Ross Chen for stopping by. And Ross, where can people find you at? Um, yeah, well, they can just find me on lovehkfilm.com. Hopefully we'll update one day. Um, all right, so you can find Ross over there. Uh, Kevin, what about you? What are you uh, working on these days? Well, you can actually also find me on lovehkfilm.com. But um, specifically within the blog, The Golden Rock, uh, I've been updating it about 
there one entry every two three days so i'm still going at it um the exact address is www.lovehkfilm.com slash blog slash the golden rock that's one word the golden rock you can also find me on twitter uh same screen name the golden rock uh, again one word the golden rock um and Oh, yeah, also this week, you can find me on www.ypmovies.com.hk. I will be reviewing Kung Fu Panda 2. Yeah. Um, Again. One yes. thing is, though, uh, yeah, people should really stop by the Golden Rock because uh, Kevin is finally blogging again, and it's really uh, uh, it's really good information about what's happening in China and uh, with Chinese films and how it relates to Hong Kong films, and especially now that the topic is so hot. China and, and their and their crazy uh, film industry and how they're screwing with the rest of the world. Um, it's good that uh, Kevin is returning to this because uh, he can get a lot of good information. It isn't just parroting what he's seeing elsewhere. Mm. All right. And as always, you can follow us along at our website, www.concast.com, or on Twitter, the same name, twitter.com slash concast. You can leave us a message on the website, and if uh, you've got something to say or a question, uh, leave a message in the comments section. We might just read it here on the show. Or you can contact us directly at our email at eastscreen at gmail.com. And if you would like to, you can attach a short audio file, MP3 format, and we might just play that here on the show as well. Uh, final thoughts, gentlemen? I fell asleep. Sorry. What? <laughs> no. No final thoughts. Uh, I'm, I'm safe your money for Wuxia. Yeah, that's what I say. Yeah, Wuxia. We'll be talking about Wuxia um, likely in two weeks. Um, next week, we might have a special episode. Until then, as always, we will wish you good viewing, and we will see you next time. See you next time, everybody, and Happy New Year. Yeah. <laughs> What? <laughs> it's, it's taking so long. I think it's already 2012. So happy New Year. Uh, I'm sorry, but hey, don't look. you can see the Dark Knight rises soon. <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> <laughs>
you try turning on the audio and make sure you can hear something i heard myself so it's definitely working here well i don't really want to hear myself so i'll just believe you guys (laughs) okay you know i'll let you guys handle all the technology i'm just here to uh provide color if necessary because you know i'm from the streets (laughs) the mean streets of hong kong right yeah yeah what are we hearing here is this i thought paul you blown blown this stuff what's that wait what am i hearing here what are you hearing i don't know i hear like some radio stuff i don't hear anything like that no. Okay, I'll turn off anything that might be making death sounds. Okay, I'll turn off anything that might be making death sounds. Okay, I'll turn off anything that might be making death sounds. Okay, I'll turn off anything. That was weird. Yeah, it was weird. Infinite loops. You're not making another Kevin raps, are you? <laughs> oh, that's coming later. <laughs> no! No! Uh, yeah, I've never seen Twilight. You know why? Because you know, I like to see shirtless guys in real life. <laughs> <laughs> so is that what you guys all do over there at the at the, at the, at, the uh, at work? <laughs> I keep my clothes on, but I think I'll never get a promotion that way. Yeah. <laughs>